the adults would turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, and just keep your hand in that location. And then go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. Okay, Romans 1, 7. Okay, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God. You see that, beloved of God? We've talked about the power of God. We've talked about the will of God. We talk here today about the beloved of God, the church. The beloved of God. And then, if you will go up with me, and let's look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. There's another of God. That's the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse 7 again, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God. And then it tells us, it talks about that Jesus in verse 4 is the Son of God. Notice what we're doing. We talked about the power of God. We talked about the will of God. Then we're going to talk about the beloved of God. Then we're going to talk about the Son of God. Then we'll talk about the gospel of God. Okay, it's laid out this way as you read chapter 1, all of these of gods. But there is interpretation, inversion. So you invert those of gods and they lay over the whole book of Romans, okay? If we have time, we'll go back and just lay the whole book out for you along those lines. But chapter 14 through chapter 15 and verse 2 deals with the beloved of God. And then chapter 15 verse 3 through verse 14 is going to deal with the Son of God. He is the heart of the beloved of God. And then he will pick up again throughout the rest of the book with the gospel of God. Okay? And this is a common practice in Jewish interpretation. In the first chapter, they'll give you all of these outlines. This outline, the whole book is outlined. And then it's laid out according to that principle. So chapter 14 then is the beloved of God. All right? Y'all with me up to that point? Okay. Amen. Verse 1. Him that is weak. In the faith. Receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Doubtful disputations have to do with doubtful thoughts, reasons, opinions. He that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Excuse me. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. I'm going to read all these verses to you. Let's just pray. And get into this chapter. Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your awesome word today. Your wonderful anointed. Speak to us and give us understanding. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Chapter 14 deals with the beloved of God. It deals with differences along personal convictions. How to handle differences In this age, okay, people have differences in convictions, all right, 
God talks about how we're to handle each other because we are the beloved of God. We are to what? Receive ye one another. When it falls along personal convictions. Are you with me here? So this chapter, let me just put it out there for you first and foremost, is the most dangerous chapter in the book of Romans. And I'll tell you why it's very dangerous to, to go in and try to uh, exegete or teach from it. Because if you're a novice, you will teach this chapter as a license to do just about anything you want to do. This chapter does not teach that. Okay? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Also, if you're not careful, if you're a legalist, then you will use this chapter here uh, basically to teach no, no areas where there's personal conviction. Okay, you with me here? <laughs> uh, because then they would say that you need to be strong or whatever, weak, whatever. But anyway, classifications. My point is this, is this is a dangerous chapter to interpret. Okay? Let me just step out here and talk to y'all for just a moment. Please don't get into studying Greek and Hebrew until you've read your Bible all the way through at least once, twice, three times. You know, you, if you don't know what your English Bible says, don't get into Greek. It'll be, it'll be Greek to you. I promise you. Do you know it's only been in the last few years of my life that God has released me to study the languages and, and the biblical text in, in, in context to the languages? Uh, he has had me at the beginning of my ministry focus on what the English Bible says. Be careful about that. I got, I got people out there who haven't been in the church very long. They haven't even read their Bible through probably. And they're already delving into the Greek languages and they are, they are coming up with false conclusions. I promise you because I talk to people. You've got to know what the Bible says as a whole. Be in the Word of God. Be in the kingdom of God for a while before you get into the Greek stuff. Okay? Now, the Greek is going to open up a lot of things to you, but can also, if you don't have discernment and you don't have knowledge, you will come to the wrong conclusion about the Scripture. You have to take the Bible as a whole, not just one part and not even just a Greek word. What does the Bible say as a whole? So chapter 14 is, is very, it's a very dangerous chapter to put in the hands of people who don't know what it teaches. Very dangerous. Because if you're looking for a license, then you'll go to this chapter to try to find a license. <clears throat> this chapter, remember, is along the lines of non-moral question things. Things that God has not specifically forbidden in Scripture. Okay? If God has forbidden something in Scripture or taught on something and define for you the practice that we are to observe. It does not fall in Romans 14. Okay? Praise God. Let me say that again. If God's word forbids it, because the will of God, the absolute will of God is his word. Okay? <clears throat> There is, uh, the Word of God is also, or let me put it this down, the Word of God, but personal conviction, God's will is relative to us, but it's also absolute. God's Word is absolute, okay? God's will is relative, which means at times, sometimes it's going to be based along personal convictions. 
And then sometimes God will convict you about something that you should not do, but he will not convict your brother about it. And the reason why he convicts you about it is because it could cause you to be destroyed. If it doesn't cause you to be destroyed and lose your soul, it could destroy, destroy your conscience, your victory, your faith. You with me? Your walk with God in power. So God will convict certain of us about certain things. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't practice that. Don't look at that. Because he knows that it will violate your conscience and it will destroy you in one way or the other. It will. It, let me put it this way. The word destroy means a lot of things. But you will lose a sense of well-being. And you will become confused. Okay? But the brother next to you or the sister next to you, she may be able to do this certain thing and not feel convicted about it and uh, not lose her sense of well-being. So these things, this, I, I'm telling you, this chapter is very dangerous to interpret. <clears throat> we know that the Word of God defines for us His will, His absolute will. So if God has addressed it in His Word, I have no freedom to disobey that. No freedom. It defines His will absolutely. But there are certain things that he doesn't absolutely tell us is wrong and right. So they're going to fall along personal conviction. Okay, you with me here? And that's what this chapter deals with. Now we as a church know this, that God defined his, his word, tells us what is moral, what is right. Amen? Okay. We know the Bible absolutely tells us that there are certain activities that we cannot and must not participate in. You understand? We understand not only has God addressed moral things and activities, He has also addressed our dress as men and women the way that a woman should look and the way that a man should look and there should be no cross crossing over that absolute. There must be a distinction between the sexes. Do you understand that? So God has defined that for us. In fact, to violate that would, make an, would be an abomination to God. Okay? Even though God has defined for us dress, Man wears a man's apparel. Woman wears a woman's apparel. Okay? Within that, there is room for personal conviction. Do you understand? Some will say, well, I don't believe that, that we should wear a, a, anything less than a long sleeve shirt. That a short sleeve shirt's wrong. Well, the Bible doesn't tell that. Tell us that. The Bible doesn't forbid us to wear a short sleeve shirt. Okay? Are you with me here? It might be your conviction that you only wear long sleeve shirts, but you have to keep it in that realm that this is my conviction. I should only wear long sleeve shirts. I believe it's, it, you know, that I shouldn't wear a short sleeve shirt, etc. You with me here? So God has defined for us morality. He's defined for us activities. He's defined for us the way that we are, are to dress. But within these things of activities or dress... There is room for difference. 
Do you understand? Room for difference. Even in the area of dress, style is not the same. Right? So there's room for difference in that. Conviction in those things. Are with me here? Okay. <clears throat> Days, holidays, pagan practices. Listen carefully. That God has forbidden us to practice does not fall in under Romans 14. Okay? Did you hear what I said? If, if God's word forbids it, then it does not follow under personal conviction. It follows under the absolute word of God. You understand? Some people will use this chapter to teach it's okay to observe certain uh, pagan holidays and practices. Well, that's your conviction. That's not my conviction. Well, again, what does the word absolutely say on it? If the word absolutely says something about our observing of a particular day, a pagan festival or a pagan way, then we are to abstain from that because the word of God has addressed that. It's not under the realm of personal conviction. Okay? So morality, you with me here? Activities, dress, pagan days and holidays, etc. that God has dealt with specifically. We must abide by that word of God. It is, there's no wiggle room in it. Do you understand? It is something that God has said yes to or no to. And we must find out. Now, if you don't know what the Bible says, you have a responsibility to find out. Because God doesn't look at it like, you know, sometimes we do. Well, I didn't know. Do you understand? Because God doesn't change in His Word, His absolute Word, and His, what He says on something. He don't change it just because you don't know. You are responsible to find out what the Bible says about it. Now, and so once you find out, then you are responsible to obey it. Regardless about what everybody else is doing, regardless about how you feel about it, regardless of what you think about it, if God has addressed it absolutely, you must deal with it. And it's not a personal conviction thing. You with me here up to this point? Okay. So <clears throat> morality, he's defined by his word. Our activities, he's defined by his, by his word. Dress has been defined by his word. Certain pagan practices have been addressed by his word. Idolatry, etc. Various things. And, and the word, you know, is large. So I can't list them all. But I would just tell you that if you've got a question about something, anything about in your life, for example, the subject of hair, it's not a personal conviction thing. Okay? Well, I don't have a conviction as a man that I'm supposed to cut my hair. That's what some people could say, would say about this chapter. I think I could let my hair grow long and it'd be okay with God. Because Romans 14 says, you know, as long as it doesn't bother your conscience, you know, just let it grow, men. And for the women, you know, just go ahead and, and cut your hair. And as long as it doesn't bother your conscience, as long as you don't feel bad about it, go ahead and cut your hair. You cannot put that underneath this chapter because it is not a personal conviction thing. God has told you women, do not cut your hair. He has told you men to cut yours. He has addressed it. It is not a, a, a personal conviction thing. Okay? 
Now, for me as a pastor, when, I, when it says don't cut your hair women and cut your hair men, I mean, I literally believe that totally. Okay? I believe that that means don't cut your hair. Now, somebody would say, well, what about split ends? And that's okay to question it. But let me address that. All right? Well, the Bible doesn't just come out and say don't cut your split ends. Right? Well, for me to come out as a pastor and say, okay, it's okay for all you women to cut your split ends. For me to make that blanket statement, do you know how dangerous that, what, what, how dangerous that is for me to make that statement? Because what if, I wish I had my wife here, what if your split end is seven inches long? You see what I'm saying? You know, for, for one woman, her split end might not, you know, it might be about that long. That's it. So she's just clipping the ends and it's no big deal to her. But if I say as a pastor, okay, it's okay to cut the damaged ends off of your hair. The damaged ends of your hair might reach all the way to your scalp. See, people don't think. They are novices when they come. They start handling the Word of God. And they are absolute novices, many of them, in the conclusions that they come through. To They don't think about anything. So for me, let me just put it this way. For me, I can't say it's okay for you to cut your split ends. There could, there could be many other factors that are involved in the reason why that hair's splitting. Do you roll it? Do you perm it? Do you put chemicals on it? You know, do you take care of yourself physically? On and on. There's a lot of reasons why. It could be that you have split ends. And I know that it could be argued that if you cut it, you take care of that problem. But I'm just asking you a question. If you say, okay, you can cut the split end. Where do you limit the length of the cut? Then it falls back on me again as a pastor. Are you individually? Well, I can cut one inch of my split end, but not two inches of my split end. Do you see what I'm saying? So for me, I just say, don't cut the hair. Just stick with the Bible. Just don't cut the hair, women. And men, you cut your hair. All right? And everything will be just okay. Just fine. And that's where, that's where I'm going to be as a pastor. Now, if, if possibly the split end thing falls under, under a conviction thing, you with me here? If it does fall under this Romans 14 passage, and I'm not trying to contradict what I just said, but if it does, again, how far do you go up? How far do you go up? Ah, getting quiet in here, isn't it? Sure is, honey. It's getting real quiet in here. See, I'm just telling you. See, some of you don't think about things like that. But my point is God has specifically addressed these things. And these things are something that are not based on personal conviction. They are things that are defined in the Word of God. And they are the will of God for all women and all men everywhere in all the world. Amen? Okay. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's, let's move over here into the area of jewelry, all right? Well, some people say, well, I don't have a, a conviction, you know, against wearing jewelry. And then this one over here says, well, I have a conviction against it. Well, who's right? Well, you got to go back to the Word of God again. Does God specifically address the subject of jewelry? Does He? Absolutely, He does address the subject of jewelry. Amen? Exceptions, maybe one or two cases in all the Word of God does the Bible show us that you can wear jewelry just for the sake of wearing jewelry. Just a few exceptions. 
All the other teachings from the Bible on the area of jewelry is, is that God does not want his people caught up in that. Do you understand? Hallelujah. Uh, and so that's the stand we take because what? Because of the word of the Lord. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Now, for the sake of just wearing jewelry, only a couple of times is it addressed that it's okay. You with me here? But it does define for you that it's okay to wear jewelry if it serves a purpose. It serves a purpose. All right, a watch serves a purpose. But then you, you got to be careful about the watch you wear because if it's all studded out and got gold and, you know, diamonds are flashing, you know, and I'm up here blinding you, hallelujah, I say, praise the Lord, I blind you. You know what I'm saying? Then I've crossed the line of modesty. You see? So the watch in and of itself is not wrong to wear because it's a timepiece and it serves a function. But if I go overboard with that liberty, then I can cross another line in the Word of God. Modesty. So, uh, even in that though, if some people have a personal conviction even against jewelry that serves a purpose. Wedding rings, example. Watches, example. Wedding ring is not biblically forbidden. It serves a purpose. Amen? I can, I can show in the Word of God. It's okay for you to have a wedding ring. Now, some people would get in the Word and they'd get all this documentation and they'd try to prove that, that you couldn't wear a wedding ring. You with me here? But it serves, if it serves a purpose, that's the principle. If it serves a purpose, it's not wrong to wear a piece of gold, silver, whatever. But if it's just for vain reasons, just to wear it, then you, you'll be crossing the line because there's only a few passages that I know of in all the Old Testament and even the New Testament that says or, or alludes to the fact that it was okay for them to do that. You with me here? So, again, in the area of jewelry, you've got to go back. And, and you would be surprised what the Bible says about jewelry. You'd be surprised about what it says. About Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, okay? Because some of you just don't know these things. But you'd be surprised about what the Bible says about earrings. And, and you'd be surprised what, what, anyway. A lot of the things that people wear today. Now, I'm not make, trying to make anybody feel bad. If you've got earrings, just, just sit cool. Okay? But I'm just trying to tell you that the Bible talks about these things. And you need to get in the Word of God. You've got to find out what the Bible says about them. Okay? So I know it's okay for me to wear a watch. I can go buy me a watch, but I don't wear a watch. Why? Just don't wear one. Okay? It's not going to, you know, it's not going to make me weaker or stronger in God to stand up here. It's not going to make my message less powerful or, or more anointed because I don't have a watch on this morning. It's just something I just don't, don't put, don't wear. I, maybe I just don't like it. In a month or two, you might see one on me, you know. I mean, it may change my mind. But I'm just sharing with you that even in, but in the areas of jewelry, find out what the Word of God says, the area of dress, okay? Find out what the Bible says about these things. Where does God okay it? Where does God forbid it? You understand? And then live that way. Amen. Praise God. Jewelry, if it serves a purpose, you're all right. How many of you women got wedding rings? Do you know how many, how many churches would condemn you for wearing a wedding ring? I'm telling you the truth. We had somebody, we, we had a choir deal out here one day, and we had some people from another church come over there. They thought we'd all backslid because the women were running around with wedding rings on. I said, I just tell them, just, just tell them to shut up, you know. <laughs> I did. 
You know, it, it serves a purpose. We have freedom. And are you with me here? Now, What? listen to me. Listen to me, okay? <clears throat> but if your pastor says he doesn't want you to wear a watch or he doesn't want you to wear a wedding ring, then you better be careful because you can rebel against him. Now, let me show what I'm talking about. There was a sister when I pastored in Crane, when I was there, because I felt that it was okay for, for women to wear wedding rings or men to wear wedding rings, you know. Uh, she wore the wedding ring, okay? But when I left the church in Crane, another pastor went there. He preached against wearing wedding rings. You know what she did? She took it off. And she put it in her house, and she didn't wear it. No big deal. I talked to her when I went back to Crane. After, after this man resigned, I went back to Crane. And I talked to her, and she told me, it's no big deal for her. If that's the way the pastor sees it, no problem. He, she took it off, and she put it aside. Didn't get an attitude. Didn't get rebellious, you know, because she didn't worship that anyway. <clears throat> but when I went back to Crane, I noticed that she wasn't wearing the wedding ring. You know, and, I, and so I, I asked her about that. I said, well, where's your wedding ring, you know? She said, and she explained to me what I just shared with you. And I said, I want you to understand, I appreciate you that when your pastor was here, he set those guidelines and you were willing to follow those guidelines because of his conviction and you were underneath him. And her spirit was wonderful. But I said, as far as now that I am your pastor, you're not going to be sinning, okay? You're not going to um, uh, be uh, be in rebellion against the man that was over you before, but I, as your pastor, want you to know I don't have a problem with that. So she put her wedding rings back on with the same attitude, same joy, and went about her business. <clears throat> and, and she's still living for God today. Still living for God today. So, <clears throat> you see, it is important to understand a lot of things when you address, is it okay to do this? Number one, did the Word of God address it? How did God's Word address it? What are the absolutes around it? What are the um, liberties around it? And then, how does your pastor feel about it? Yeah. See, that's where a lot of us, and I'm, I love you, and I'm going to tell you in a loving way, that's where a lot of you miss it. Because you go to try to find chapter and verse to condone what you're doing, okay? And you know how your pastor believes, and you know how your, what your pastor thinks about the subject, but you're going to try to force it. Friend, I want to tell you something. That's dangerous. Very, very, very dangerous, okay? Now, and, and with time, if you get another pastor, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going anywhere, but if, if you do get another pastor, you're under another pastor at some point, and maybe he doesn't feel a conviction about that certain thing. Well, just go for it, okay? Because you're not in rebellion then. But you better be careful because the pastor is responsible for setting guidelines. And I try my very best as far as humanly possible to be biblical in everything we teach, you with me here? Biblical in everything we teach. Okay. So even in the area, uh, some of these areas, the style of clothing, the, the, uh, the jewelry, and it's serving a purpose, and whether or not you should wear the wedding ring. I'm just touching a few things here, the watch. That falls under personal conviction things. But you cannot disobey an absolute in the word of the Lord and say, okay, it's under this chapter here. See if, okay, you with me here? All right, praise the Lord. This is good. <laughs> I told my wife the other day, I said, I'm really excited because 
God helps me when I come to these, these chapters to, so that I can tell you, share with you the proper way to approach this chapter. You understand? Because if I don't share those things with you about the absolutes of the Word of God and then relative things concerning your personal conviction, then people sometimes who are looking for a license will go to this chapter and say, well, I don't have a conviction about it. And I personally don't feel it's wrong. And I think it's okay. You know, those people are just crazy anyway. You'd be surprised how smart we are. <laughs> Bible smart. Some of you are, some of you are worldly wise. Some of you are street wise. Yeah, yeah. But I want to be Bible wise. <clears throat> okay? It's okay to be street wise. Might help you get through life some, but we're in the kingdom of God. And we need to be Bible wise. <clears throat> okay. Does this help you? <coughs> Got quiet in here, didn't it? And with time, I'm going to go back over and I'm going to teach on the hair and I'm going to teach on the jewelry and I'm going to teach on clothing and whatnot. I'm going to show you the absolutes and then the, the, lib the liberties that are in, in those things. Okay? Amen. Praise the Lord. Awesome. God's awesome. Now, <clears throat> again, let me just touch one thing. If I say as a pastor, okay, I want all my men who stand on the platform to wear a tie. Okay? Pastor, give me chapter and verse for that. I can't. <laughs> There's no chapter and verse in the Bible that says, wear a tie to church. Okay, well then I don't have to do it, Pastor. Well, you could set up your, your little fun self right on that chair. You understand? <laughs> because I believe this, you know, as a pastor, if your boss can let, set guidelines for you about the code and conduct at, at the workplace... I believe that your pastor can also do that without having chapter and verse, but the spirit that he has, spirit of God that he has, you know, is, is going to give him a right to set certain codes in the house, whether you like it or not. Do you understand? But again, I'm trying to stay in the word of God with everything that we do. Now, so you're going to have to pray for me. Okay. For example, now what if somebody here in the Bible it comes to me in this church? I feel like I just need to address a few things here. They say, it's okay, I think, Pastor, for men to wear, grow a beard. And they grew beards in the Bible, you know, and it's okay, must be okay for us to grow beards. Well, okay. You know what? I would have a real hard time proving by the Word of God that it's wrong for a man to grow a beard. Okay? Serious. Yeah, serious. But as the pastor here... I, I preach that I, I believe it's a good thing and a proper thing and a clean thing to, for the men to wear clean-shaven face. Now, I'm not making anybody feel bad, but that's where I am. You go to another church, he may have a goatee, look like Satan. No, I'm sorry. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, that's his deal, right? You're, you're going to look just like him, I promise you. You will. But I can tell you this about the beard. The Bible does talk about how you're not to cut it. It says don't mar the ends. So if you want to look like a rabbi walking around. God is specific in his word about how you can cut it and how you can't cut it. 
So this modern day cut that people have is not biblical. Ooh, got quiet on that one, didn't it? <clears throat> so anyway, I just deal with it. I just take care of it. I don't worry about it. You know, and I did say one thing to brother, my brother, and I'm not going to put your name on the, on the tape here. I did say one thing to my brother about it. You know, he, he's sporting something, you know, on his face. Brother, brother right here. Lift your hand, brother. We, you know, and most of you were when you came in here. Same thing. All right. And uh, <clears throat> didn't say one thing to him. I didn't look down on him. I didn't, you know, castigate him, jump on him for that with time. You know what? He got clean shaved. Look at him. He looks so good. Man, I'll tell you. <clears throat> Sister Michelle, you better hold tight. Man, you better put your arm around his arm. You know. But, but see, and I'm just telling you, it's just the spirit of the Lord that is here, the unity that is here, and, and he can look at, at the people here, and, and uh, he just, the spirit of God began to deal with him, and, and he did this, and I haven't talked to him about this at all. No, I didn't say one thing to him. That, that, that's good, isn't it? That, that's good. <clears throat> then call me on the phone, want to argue with me about it. Anything like that, you know? <clears throat> Amen. And so I'm thankful for that. But, but these are just a few things that I feel led to address. Because a lot of times behind the beard, there's a spirit. There's an attitude. Some, I'm not saying always, but sometimes. And it's this, this macho thing or this pride thing. So they'll wear this, they'll, they'll put this stuff on their face because they've got a pride problem. And I'm not saying always, I'm just saying sometimes. Okay, so then you got to look at the underlying motive behind why you wear it. Again, so there's a lot of things you have to look at in determining the way you're going to live. But the absolutes of the Word of God on any subject, go to the Word of God and, and, and see what the Bible says. And if you don't understand, if you don't know, ask me. I'll be glad to help you. But whatever you do, don't try to undermine my preaching with each other. Because that's dangerous then. Very dangerous for you to try to do that. So, hallelujah. Does this, does this help you? I'm trying to help you, man. I'm trying to help the church here. I'm trying to help me sleep at night. <laughs> I really would like to sleep a little bit if I could, you know. <clears throat> so anyway, let's get into the word of the Lord here. And, and you know I love you. And let's talk about things that fall under the... the the chapter 14 text here of non-moral question things. Things that are not specifically forbidden in the scripture. Or things that are not specifically addressed that we are to practice and observe them. These are all, this chapter deals only with the non-moral question things. Questions of conscience. Questions of personal conviction, okay? Do you understand? What kind of recreation you do can be a personal conviction. You might have a conviction you don't like fishing. That, you know, that, that's a personal conviction. There's nothing in the Bible tells you you can't fish. Then the other person said it's okay to fish. You know, that's recreation. Some people feel it's okay, you know, to play foosball. Others have a conviction against it. That's what they used to do in the bars, Personal conviction things. You know what I'm saying? Some people feel like it would be a, uh, against their convictions to wear shiny shoes. And there's some preachers that used to preach against wearing shiny shoes for the men. You understand? Or even colored shirts. 
So personal conviction, I don't have a problem with wearing a shiny shoe. I don't have no Bible that says you can't wear a shiny shoe. <clears throat> Understand? Some of y'all looking at me funny like, really? Yeah, this is real. <clears throat> you understand? Uh, shiny shoes or not shiny shoes, personal conviction thing. Colored shirts, not colored shirts, personal conviction thing. I remember when I went, when I went to, I was in an organization at one time, and I went to get my, my first license, uh, and that give you the recognition that you could pastor in that organization, that you could pastor church when you got your first license, and there were three different licenses that you went. And when I went and got my first license, you know, I'm just young, have a call on my life, want to, you know, to pastor, want to please God, you know. And, and uh, I'm fixing to go into the boardroom, okay? And, you know, I only took a couple shirts with me to that conference. One, you know, one was a white one, and, and I think one or two were colored shirts, you know. And I had a colored shirt on. I was fixing to go in that boardroom, and a, and a brother who already had his license in the ministry said, are you going in there like that? I said, like what? He said, wearing that colored shirt. I said, yeah. He said, wouldn't do that. <clears throat> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in there with that colored shirt on. That. No, you better not do that. I said, really? I said, yeah. No, they, they sort of frown on that, you know. <clears throat> so you know what I did? That old white shirt that I wore and sweated out the night before in service. I mean, it stunk. <clears throat> it stunk. I mean, it was wrinkled. <clears throat> I went and took my clean colored shirt off, and I put my dirty wrinkled white shirt on to go in that board meeting. <clears throat> well, let me tell you, when I went in there, I felt real good. My smelt bad, but I felt real good. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? But I, and I know those men that were on that board. I know them, and there are some that could care less, okay, about the color or the not, the lack of color in that shirt. They could care less, but there were some in there, they, I'm talking about, you talk about, you think I'm strict. I'm not strict. <laughs> Man, they don't even want you wearing a colored shirt. So, you know what, I went in there, and nobody got offended. Nobody was bothered by what I was wearing, and that's okay with me. I don't have any problem with that. You understand? But that is a personal conviction thing. Praise the Lord, somebody. <clears throat> the way you wear your hair. Women, if you wear it down, I don't care if you wear it down. I just ask you to wear it up when you're on the platform. Okay? That's just all I say. But if you want to wear it down, go for it. If you want to wear it up, go for it. If you want to wear it curly, go for it. If you want to wear it straight, go for it. It doesn't make any difference to me. That's a personal conviction thing on your part. You have freedom in that. Just don't cut it and don't color it. Mm. Well, hit these things and people's wheels start turning. <clears throat> you with me tonight, today? And I'm not a hypocrite, and I don't get up here and say one thing, do something different somewhere else. And there's, there's people that do that, I'm sorry to say. But anyway, okay, so if you like it curly, go for it. If you like it straight, go for it. You know, hallelujah. I mean, I have my personal preference. Now, as men, though, I, I have a little bit of problem, and it's, it's a personal conviction on my part. Nothing in the Word of God that says that you can't put a perm in your hair. But I have a little bit of a personal conviction with that, you know, hallelujah. And uh, it would take me some time to get used to you with your little curls. I'm just, just telling you that. It, I would look at, I would, please forgive me, I would just look at you probably a little different for a while until I got used to it or prayed through. 
You know, you come to church, you got your little bobby pin in your hair, you pull it out. <laughs> and I understand. You understand. So <clears throat> these are just a few things here, all right? You know, and you would be surprised. I'm talking about personal conviction things, but you'd be surprised where people fall out in these things, you know, and, and get divided over them. But there's freedom in them. Right? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. And I always say this. If I'm not preaching against something or preaching for something, because we're not just against a lot of things. You know, some of y'all think, we're just against everything. Well, no, we're not just against everything. We're for a lot of things. Look at your neighbor and say, we're for a lot of things. We're for more than we're against. But I always say this, and I if I ever find out in the Word of God, the Word of God forbids something that I'm, I'm putting in a, a conviction thing, a conviction area, then I've got to change from preaching it as a personal conviction thing and as a Word of God thing. Understand? And if I ever find out that we're not doing something that God says we are to do, then I take it out from the conviction thing and I put it in the absolute thing and that's the way I preach it. So you got to preach absolutes as absolutes, and you got to preach personal conviction things as personal conviction things. And if your pastor brings a personal conviction thing and he wants to set it for the house, you can't rebel against it. Beautiful. Are you happy? <clears throat> well, let's look at this chapter, can we? <clears throat> yeah. Okay, him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Weak in the faith, which means he's weak about doing a certain thing that he feels for him would be wrong or for her to do would be wrong. Weak in the faith doesn't mean they're weak spiritually. Paul is going to talk about two kinds of people. He's going to talk about the strong and he's going to talk about the weak. When he talks about the strong and the weak, he's not talking about their spiritual condition. He's talking about their understanding. Do you understand? <clears throat> the weak do not understand their liberty in the area of personal conviction things. The strong understand their freedom where God does not specifically Forbid it. They understand that they are free to do it. You with me here? So the weak is not the weaker person spiritually, but he's just weaker in his understanding. The strong is not stronger than the weak spiritually. The strong is just stronger in their understanding about their freedom in Christ, their liberty to do certain things that the Bible has not defined as forbidden. Or a principle in the Word of God that should be followed. You follow me here? <clears throat> okay. So, <coughs> he talks about the visions and, and differences or differences among people and beliefs. And you've got to understand the culture. Rome is a melting pot for all kinds of cultures. In Rome, you have people from every place in the world. It's just like America. It is a melting pot for culture, for differences. 
Okay? In Rome, you've got Jewish believers. Jewish believers, they are believers, believe that they must continue to observe the Sabbath day. Do you understand? They believe that they are not to eat certain meats that were offered, offered to idols. Do you understand? They have real strong conviction about the days, the observing of the feast, the observing of the Sabbath day, not eating meat that was offered to idols. The Greeks, on the other hand, the Greeks primarily like to focus on being a vegetarian. So Gentile believers or Greeks, they didn't want to eat meat anyway altogether. So they just, they were vegetarians. So you had some Greeks in the church, Gentiles that were in the church. They wanted to be vegetarians. And then you've got Jewish people in the church. Are you here? That believe you have to keep observing the days, the Sabbath days and the feast days. And don't eat meat offered to idols. Okay? But they can still eat meat. Without getting into a lot of detail here. Is you've got a, a group of believers in a church who have different backgrounds. Some Jewish, some non-Jewish, some cultures from all over the world. And they come walking into the house of the Lord. And the Jews want to keep the Sabbath day. And the Jews want to observe the feast days. And don't eat meat offered to idols. And specifically don't eat any meat that is divine, defined in Scripture as forbidden. Now let me just share this with you, honey. This chapter does not give you or condone for you your right to eat meats or food that God has forbidden in Scripture. Now, if you eat them, it's not going to cause you to lose your salvation. But if God said don't eat it, you don't need to eat it even in our day. Doesn't affect salvation. <clears throat> Boy, I'm, I feel like I got to, I'm really, have to be. You with me here? So again, the cultures come in. Jews says Sabbath days, all the feast days, we're going to keep observing them. We can eat meats as long as it doesn't violate Leviticus chapter 11. Okay? We, we feel uh, convicted if we go down to the shambles, to the market, and buy a piece of meat that was offered to an idol early in the morning. Maybe the Jews follow along that line right there. Okay? <clears throat> Here comes the Greeks. They come into the house of the Lord. They say, we don't want to have anything to do with any pagan uh, pagan holidays that we are a part of. We don't even like meat for the most part. And we completely feel like that drinking wine is totally out of the question. We abstain. Even the Greeks who were not believers abstain from it. Okay. So we've got these <clears throat> different backgrounds. <coughs> people, some people coming from the pagan system of things into the church. We got the Jewish people coming in into the church believers. You got all kinds of different ideas about things that the Word of God has not addressed. You with me here? <clears throat> Hello. And so, verse 2: For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. One person comes in to the church, he doesn't believe that you should eat meat at all. <clears throat> he believes that you should be a strict vegetarian. So he goes up to the brother. He said, brother, you eat meat today? What's wrong with you, man? Don't you know you're supposed to be a vegetarian? You know what I'm saying? And the brother, brother said, what are you talking about? You know, 
That's good steak I ate today. Hamburger. Well, I love hamburger. <clears throat> and so, I mean, there'd be a big old, you know, these differences, there'd be a big old fallout over them. Now, let me look at this verse again. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. So the strong brother or sister believes he can eat all things as long as he sanctifies it by the word of God in prayer. That doesn't mean, though, that he believes that he can eat all things. Anything that the Bible has forbidden or, or has told you that it's not right or, or you shouldn't eat, it's not moral today, but it's still you shouldn't eat it. Hallelujah. Now, I know if the Bible says it, again, if the Bible says it, you shouldn't eat it, you shouldn't eat it. Okay? Am I misinterpreting this verse? Can you eat all things? Can you eat poison ivy? Bob said, I can eat all things as long as I pray over it. I can smoke weed. <coughs> Bob says, as long as I pray over it. Hey, come on. It's an herb. Don't matter how you cook it. Bob doesn't say how you cook it. Again, if the Bible sets the guidelines, you have to follow the absolutes along that line. Okay? Now, if you eat pork, I'm not telling you you're going to lose your salvation. But I'm asking you a question. Did God ever give us the right to eat pork? Did God ever tell us that we could eat crawfish and shrimp and crabs? Did He? Show me in the Bible where He's ever changed His dietary ways you understand and i know what that represents i know that it represents you know that they were to be a set apart people unto god and they were different from the gentiles and god told peter one day he said arise kill and eat Peter said not so lord i haven't eaten anything common you know unclean paul said and god says arise kill and eat and the, and the teaching was, go out and preach to the Gentiles. You look at them as unclean animals, but the gospel is for them. Go out and preach to them. But I don't see God putting his approval on eating things that he said in Leviticus were not right for us to eat. That is why we're in the mess we are physically. Now listen, follow where I'm talking here. If you come to church, we have a potluck dinner, and you come to church, and you bring, you know, hog guts and hog tongue <coughs> and hog head, and flies are flying all over his eyes. No, no, let's get rid of the flies. I'm not going to go over there and say, you need to take that home. You understand? Because in a sense, it does fall under a... a conviction thing all right it's not going to affect your salvation but i'm just asking the question let me do it that way let me ask the question does god put his approval on in this time of grace eating stuff that he forbid in the old testament that we should eat okay are you hearing what i'm trying to my point is my point is i'm not going to stand up here as a pastor and say no more pork maybe not maybe not i'm not quite there yet Maybe someday I'll say, no more pork, no more crab, you know. 
No more cockroach of the sea shrimp. You follow me? You're killing yourself. You understand? But at this point, I'm not doing that. But the Bible does give us guidelines about diet. You are a steward of your body. You're responsible to God about what, what you ingest. Okay? But in this particular passage, evidently, it was connected. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10, you're going to see that Paul talked about meat that was offered to idols. So if I, if I take 1 Corinthians and I, and I use that to define what he's saying here, meat that was offered to idols. Or let's, let's define it that it, it, it violated, if it violated the Levitical, Leviticus 11 passage about what you can eat and what you can't eat. Let me, let me, let me back up. Mm. If this passage is talking about, one brother believes he can, the strong believes he can eat all things, and another one says only herbs. That's the issue here. Meat versus herbs. It could be what, what the background of this is. I'm not altogether sure. But in the culture of that day, if you wanted the best cut of meat, you could go to the shambles or to the marketplace. Now, first, what happens early in the morning, about 6 a.m. in the morning, the priest in idle temples would go and get the prime cuts of meat from the shambles, okay? They go to the marketplace, buy it, pay the high, pay the premium price for the premium cut of meat at 6 a.m. in the morning. They would take this prime cut, very expensive meat, and they would offer it up to their God, false God. And when they got through with it, around 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, they went back to the marketplace with the same meat because what are you going to do with the meat? Because these false gods are not going to eat it. <clears throat> so they, they didn't just throw it out. They took the meat back to the marketplace. Okay. And they put it back on the market. And brother so-and-so walks into the market about 11 o'clock that, that morning. He wants to get himself something to eat for his family or sister so-and-so. She walks over there and she sees a T-bone steak. <clears throat> And it is the prime cut. It's about that thick. I mean, and it's juicy and it's just, you know, came from an Angus. And it is just the top that you can get. Now, <coughs> that one was offered to a pagan deity early that morning. An idol. A false god. And then there's another T-bone steak. Same size. Looks just as good, but it's twice as much to buy that one as it would cost you to buy the one that was offered to the idol early that morning. So you've got to make up your mind, personal conviction. Is it okay for me to buy this steak that was offered early in the morning to that false god at half the price? Or should I go ahead and purchase the other piece of meat that I know wasn't offered to an idol, but it's going to cost me twice as much for the same thing. So the weak brother walks up there and says, I got to buy the one that wasn't offered to the idol. Because that one was offered to an idol, and I can't, I can't uh, do that. I got to go with this meat here. So he pays twice as much money. And here comes strong brother. 
our strong sister. She walks up there, and, and you know, the, the, the weaker sister or weaker brother, whatever it is, she or he walks up there, the strong walks up there, says, hey, give me, give me this one right here. Yeah, that one right there. Yeah, the one that was offered to the idol early this morning. Yeah, give it to me. Yeah, yeah. Half the price is this one. Yeah, I'm a good steward. You know? So the, mar- the guy at the market just wraps that piece of meat up that was offered to the idol early that morning. The strong brother walks off, no problem. Gets home, they cook it, eat it, pray over it, sanctify it with prayer, and <clears throat> no problem. <coughs> Didn't affect their relationship with God at all. Okay? And the weak brother or sister goes home, cooks it, eats it, everything. Everything's okay with their conscience. Understand? But if the weaker brother or sister saw the stronger brother or sister buy the meat that was offered to an idol, that would create a problem in their mind. That could cause them to stumble because they don't understand their freedom and their liberty that that meat that was offered to an idol, there is no such thing as a, uh, another God anyway. <coughs> you understand? So for the strong brother, buy it, pray over it, sanctify it, chow down. But the weak brother stum- struggling with that. You see what sister so-and-so did? Brother so-and-so, he, he bought that piece of meat that was offered to an idol this morning. You understand? So you see the conflict that was going on there? So Paul's primary focus in this chapter is not dealing with every issue that you and I might face. He's just going to pick a few examples here and there. But the primary focus of this whole thing is the beloved of God. The focus is not here so much on personal conviction things. About what, you know, you feel like you can buy the meat that was offered to an idol. Or do you feel like you you should buy the meat that wasn't offered to an idol. That's really not the big deal here. The big deal is how you handle these differences among you. That if you are the strong brother or sister that can buy the meat that was offered to an idol. Okay. You need to care about what your weaker brother or sister thinks. You need to love them. You need to uh, set yourself aside for their sakes. You understand? That's the point. Beloved of the Lord. How you handle these differences as a stronger brother. I don't have that conviction. I can do this. And it doesn't bother me. You know? But what about the other brother or sister? What if they see me doing this and they have a conviction against it? What do we do? Well, we have to prefer one another. Come on. I can't do this in the presence of that brother. I can't do this in the presence of that sister. Because if I do this while they're around, then I am going to offend them. (coughs) You understand? So this sister I was told you about earlier was really wise. Because the pastor who was preaching to her, in a sense, in a sense, he was the weaker brother. Okay? And she was the stronger. She felt it was okay to wear that wedding ring, but he didn't feel right. So what she did for his sake, authority won, but also recognizing the proper way to handle it. I'll just take it off, and we won't even worry about it. And he won't get offended in me, and I won't, you know, won't be no problem. Everything will be wonderful. Amen. 
<coughs> Do you understand? And, and so ultimately that, that is the issue. All right? Well, what if we bring it over here and he talks about one thinks you can eat meat, you, you know, for one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let's, let's look at it and let's say if it's not dealing with the meat that's offered to idols. I believe that was one issue of it. Okay? <coughs> let's say then we're really dealing with the vegetarian versus the meat eater. All right? So one person in the church thinks you shouldn't eat meat at all. Any kind of meat. All right? Vegetarians. And then I got somebody in the church, they, they think they can eat meat, and they just pray over it, and, and they eat meat, you know? And it causes that, that sister or that brother over there that's a vegetarian to have a problem with them. Strong brother, he can eat. He can eat vegetables, and he can eat meat too at the same time on the same plate. And the weaker brother or sister walks by and looks over there and sees broccoli on the plate with a big old side of beef, and she's offended. I can't believe it. You see that? He's over there eating meat with his vegetables. Do you understand? <laughs> or even what's worse than that, he's mixing the milk of, of the mother. He's put cheese on his hamburger. <clears throat> I can't believe he put cheese on his hamburger. The Bible clearly says, this says the Jewish man, the Bible clearly says, you're not supposed to, you know, soothe or, or seethe or cook the, the meat of that cattle in the mother's milk. So they interpret that to mean, am I, am I right on this? They interpret that to mean that you can't put cheese or anything dairy with the meat. But they don't, they don't understand the background of that passage is, is completely idolatrous. It was a, as a Babylonian practice. It was a cruel Babylonian practice. But they, but they interpret it to mean that you don't put cheese with your meat. <coughs> Am I right? Okay. So all these various issues would come up in this church. One thinks they can eat the meat offered to idols just as long as they pray over it. One thinks that they shouldn't do that, buy the high-priced meat. And, okay, they don't violate their conscience. One thinks they should be a vegetarian altogether. Some people think they can... They can eat the meat too, you know. And so we have these differences that have come up. Okay, do you understand? Be surprised it's still here today. For, for some people, for me to put cheese on my cheeseburger would cause them to have a real problem. You know, and I'm a strong brother, so I don't have any problem with eating a cheeseburger. But if I'm in the presence of that weaker brother or sister, I've got to be careful. It might be wise if she's with me in the restaurant if I just go ahead and order a regular burger. Why? Because I care about what they think. I care about how they feel. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Now, <clears throat> meat offered to idols or not offered to idols? Vegetarianism versus eating meat. Third possibility is that we're dealing with the, the food, the dietary laws that were given by God, Leviticus chapter 11, to the Jewish people. Okay? So they're very, 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 very careful about eating kosher. And they're very, 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 very careful about not eating certain types of food the Bible forbids. And they're very, 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 very careful about eating only what God says is okay. And they come into church, and here comes the Gentiles into the kingdom of God, and they're used to eat everything. You know what I'm saying? 
They eat rats. <coughs> That's a delicatessen to them, you know. They, they eat, they eat uh, eggs that are partially developed chickens, you know. I mean, they come in and eat everything. Just like trash cans, you know. <coughs> Lobster and ham and uh, crawfish and lobsters and shrimp and oysters on the half shell. No. I mean, they're not even cooked oysters. Oysters on the rocks, man, you know. I mean, they, they're, they're raw even at that. Look at them over there. Vile, gruesome, gross, you know. <coughs> okay. So if this passage is talking about it's okay for us to go ahead and eat all of these things that I just described for you, and you just pray over them, sanctify them, and it's okay. Do you understand? If that's what the passage is talking about. But again, I'd have a question with that because the Bible is clearly defining what is, what is not good for you. But let's just say it is. Then the Jewish person comes in and he's, he's eating kosher only, etc., etc. And he's following very strictly the, the dietary commands of God. Okay? And then the Gentiles are over here eating all this stuff. And there's a problem. There's a division over difference. You understand? If that's the case. If it is the case, then you can sit down. And you can eat the pork. And you can eat the shrimp. And you can eat the crawfish. You can eat the crabs. You can eat the oysters if that is the case. If you pray over it and sanctify it. It doesn't change the nature of it. It doesn't make it clean. It doesn't make it healthy. All right? Let every man be fully persuaded in their own mind. You have to be fully persuaded about this thing. For me, I move along the sides of, of trying to walk along the dietary, uh, the Old Testament dietary way of eating. For me. Not because I'm trying to be right with God, but because He said it wasn't good for me. It's an unclean thing. So, you know, I'm not going to beat you over the head with it, but that's where I am. And I'm not even going to be offended if you pray over your, your ham or your shrimp and you eat. I'm not even going to be offended about that. But in this context, it could be one of those three things. Meat offered to idols, vegetarianism versus eating meat, or the dietary commandments which were given to the Jewish people to follow those. And then these Gentiles come into the church and they were not observing them. Okay? So I'm not going to add to or take away from the Word of God. It could be that Paul is saying, as long as you pray over it, you, you know, you can eat those things that the dietary law said was wrong. I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. I think I'd rather stay with the Word of God, though, in the Old Testament. Does that help you anywhere? Okay. And I'm not saying you've got to be like me. I order a, pe a supreme pizza, and I pull the pepperonis off. <coughs> Give them to the dog. I do. You know? See, that's pork. You know? But for me, it's not about being right with God. It's more about if God said something was wrong with that, then I think I'll listen to Him. Because I don't want to end up in the hospital at 50 years of age 
all kinds of diabetes and problems and health problems and issues and, you know. I'm like, I'll listen to God. Y'all can all die and go to the grave early if you want to. But I made up my mind I'm going to try, you know, to live healthy. So that's, that's where I am on this. Does this help you? So you're going to have to determine. I'm not going to determine it for you. You're going to have to determine this. Because today we don't go to the marketplace and buy food that was offered to idols early in the morning. So we don't deal with that issue. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> as far as I know in the church here, we don't deal with the issue of vegetarian versus eating meat. Okay? So I think where we have to, we have to talk about this morning is, is it okay to go ahead and eat things that the dietary law says we shouldn't? Or not. And I would tell you that you have to be fully persuaded in your own mind. So I'll just leave that in the area of personal conviction things. Because it was given to the Jewish people. I don't know everything in that society at that time that motivated God to give it to them. You understand? In our day right now, maybe the slaughter process, maybe the cleaning process, maybe those things are different now. (coughs) Than what they were then, excuse me. You understand what I'm telling you? What was the cultural thing? What was the cultural background? Why did God forbid certain things? Do you understand? So, for me, I'm just going to stay with the word of the Lord, and I don't have to worry about it. I'm just not going to eat the shrimp, and I'm not going to eat the crawfish. And see, I'm going to tell you right now, I've already got in the house. People think I should be stronger on this. It could be. It could be that when you eat pork, you might as well eat a mouse, as Isaiah the prophet said. Could be. Okay? Let me just put it this way. So I'm off the hook. I'm off the hook. You're going to have to talk to God and find out what God wants you to do on this subject. Leave it there. Okay? I'm not going to make it a matter of a rule for this church. That you can't eat pork. You can't eat crawfish. You can't eat shrimp. You can't eat bacon. Put pork bacon, you know. Uh, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you you can't eat ham sandwich. I'm not going to do that. I probably should. You understand? Okay. But for me, I'm going to stay in Leviticus 11 the best I can. Now, here's the problem again. At some point, everybody violates that kosher law. Everybody. Everybody in here. So then again, you can't throw the law in my face. You can't do it. You can't do it. I'm just telling you, you can't do it. So I think the best thing to do is, in in that area, just walk as close to the Word of God as you can, but always pray over it all the time. And if if you think eating ham's okay, go for it. Turkey ham. Turkey ham. That's okay. Turkey bacon. I eat turkey bacon. Yeah. I I force-fed the men... At our men's prayer breakfast not long ago, I force-fed them turkey bacon. I'm probably the only one in the whole group that even cares about it, you know. But I force-fed all of them turkey bacon, and some of them didn't even know they were eating turkey bacon. (laughs) And when I teach Brother Obed how to cook bacon, it will be good. (laughs) It was a little raw. I had to pray over it just so it wouldn't jump off the plate. Sister Lena, please, would you kind of help, brother? But, it, but it's really good when it's cooked, you know, turkey bacon. 
So, so anyway, these three things. Meats offered to idols or not offered to idols. Vegetarianism versus meat or dietary laws of the Old Testament. Maybe he put that under there. You understand? I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Because I don't know the background totally of this. He doesn't give it to me. Understand? Why do I have to fight so hard? See, that's the deal. I'm telling you, that's where this passage is right here. I got a difference of opinion in this church right now on just what I just talked about. You better believe I do. I got people worried about they're not going to be able to eat tripe no more, eat pig gut, pig head, pig tongue, pig eye, pig nose, pig feet, pig feet, pig feet, pig feet, pickle pig feet. Pastor took my pickle pig feet away this morning. I mean, they're worried they're just about to want to quit the church, you know, because they can't eat pig pickle feet. Or chicken, chicken feet. They have that in Taiwan, chicken feet. I told my wife, you're not carrying those over the plane with me. There ain't no way you're taking them back home to Odessa, Texas with me. There ain't no way. Chicken feet. They eat them like chick- chips over in Taiwan. <clears throat> so for me as a pastor, can you imagine me as a pastor trying to get over there in that culture? I mean, our culture's bad enough. Get over in that culture and try to tell them the dietary law, you need to obey this, you need to follow this. Friend, there's some things that's not even that's in the Bible that's not even in Taiwan. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? So all I can say is just pray over it, man. Pray over it. That, they were serving me stuff. I didn't even know what its name was. What is that? Don't know. Came out of the sea. Is it a predator? Is it clean? Is it unclean? I don't know. Tell me, man. Don't know. Just to eat. Pray. Eat. <clears throat> Good. <laughs> Look like a maggot. Mm, don't know. Not sure. Just to eat. Good. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So all I can do is spin the, the plate and pray. <laughs> and swallow. Don't eat. It's just swallow. <laughs> don't want to taste. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So I think that's where I'm going to have to leave it, okay, uh, on this passage here. Really, that's not the issue. I don't know why I'm spending so much time with it. You understand? But uh, just pray over it. But I would encourage you to follow the dietary guidelines of your Bible. I would encourage you to do that. And if you feel it's okay for you to eat otherwise, then I would say it's going to affect your health, not your relationship with God And I would still say pray over it, but it's not going to change the nature of the beast. So when you call me up and you're 35 and you're in the hospital and you got all kinds of degenerative problems, Pastor, come pray for me. Keep talking. I'm going to say, why are you doing in the hospital at 35 with all these degenerative diseases? Why? You're not taking care of yourself and you're a steward of the word of God, uh, of your body. You got to take care of yourself, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel strong about that part. Does that help anybody? <clears throat> That's the only way I know to deal with this passage right here. Okay? Verse 3. Now, but anyway. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. 
He says, don't judge him. What does that mean, judge? Well, there's two in this passage. You're going to find the word judge is used in two different ways. Judge and determine. Judge literally means to look at that person as worthless. You are worthless because, and again, these are non-moral conviction things. That's why I'm having such a tough time with this food thing. Because there is something in the Word of God that defines what you can eat and what you can't eat. That's why I'm having a tough time with this. And in putting it under a personal conviction thing. Do you understand? But let's just leave it in the area of personal conviction things. The Bible hasn't forbidden it. The Bible hasn't told us we should do it. But we feel like it's okay as long as the pastor hasn't stand up and set the standard in the house against it. Then you're free to do, uh, free to walk in that liberty and that freedom. Okay? Now, the weaker brother sees you doing this or participating in this. Hallelujah. And he's, he feels bad. He feels condemned. He feels defeated because you did that. But you as the strong brother, watch this. You look at it and say, it's no big deal. It's no problem. Then we got, a, we got division here. The, let, me read, let me get the context here for you. Show you what I'm trying to get to if I can. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. So the stronger brother, God says, don't let the stronger brother, brother despise the one who doesn't participate or eat. Watch this. You with me? And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. That's the weaker brother. So the weaker brother judges. God, Paul says, don't, the weaker brother shouldn't judge the stronger brother for eating. What the weaker brother does is he doesn't just determine by a thoughtful, clear analogy, thinking through their decision. That's one word for judgment. You are to make a clear, uh, thoughtful Proper, time-applied focus on a decision in the area of personal conviction. That's determined. That's judging something. That's okay. But the word judged here is to mean completely look at as worthless. So the weaker brother looks at the stronger brother who just bought the meat at the marketplace for half price that was offered to an idol He looks at that brother as worthless. Cast out. We are to reject them. We are to put them out. Worthless people. The Bible hasn't addressed it. Hasn't forbidden it. But the weaker brother has. And he says, put them out. You understand? I look at him or she as totally worthless. That's the strength of the word here. That's what it means. Let's read it again. Let no man, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Okay? You're the weaker brother. You don't feel like you can eat this meat. I can. I just pray over it and sanctify it to God. But I'm not going to despise you if you have a personal conviction against it. Okay? But don't let the weaker brother who can't eat it judge him that eateth. Don't let the weaker brother look at the other person who doesn't have that same conviction 
and look at them as worthless in the kingdom of God. Understand? For God hath received him. So in the area of non-moral question things, things of difference, questions of conscience, the Bible says we are to receive one another. Receive ye one another. Receive ye one another. Okay? Why? Number one, because God has received them. God has received the one who ate, and God has received the one who didn't eat. Because both of them did it unto the Lord. So God received them. And if God received them, then you and I are to receive each other along the lines of personal conviction things. Who am I to reject what God has received? Do you understand? Okay. Pretty plain, right? <clears throat> the next reason why I am to receive... We are to receive each other. Watch this. One man. Let me get verse 4. Okay. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. God's going to sustain him. For God is able to make him stand. God is the judge. Are you with me here? Number, okay, so God receives, so I must receive. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Period. Right? Okay. The next reason why I have to receive, and you have to receive each other along the lines of personal conviction, is because God is sovereign. The first part of this verse, watch. God is sovereign. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Falleth. God's sovereignty or God's lordship. I have to receive you. You have to receive me in the area of personal conviction things. Because the Lord, he is sovereign. He is Lord, not me. He is Lord, not you. He is sovereign. So my focus has to be on the sovereignty of the Lord or submitting to His Lordship. So this personal conviction thing never takes me out from underneath my responsibility to walk under the Lordship of Jesus. He cannot just be my Savior. He must be my Lord. And because he's my Lord, I'm answering to him. So he might tell me to do something that you don't have a conviction about. But I have to walk in that because he is my Lord. I'm concerned about his Lordship. You might be able to, to, to not do certain things because you don't have a conviction about it. Okay? And the Lord has set you free to do that. Well, he's your Lord. You're still under his Lordship. So we receive each other, number one, because God has received us. Number two, because He's Lord. And then number three, it's not, I'm, I'm not the judge, but it's God who is the judge. That's the last part of this verse. 
Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. So God is my judge, and God is your judge. He's received us, so we have to receive you one another. He is the Lord, not you or me, in the air of personal conviction things. And he is the judge, not you or me. You or I. He is the judge. So third reason why I have to receive you, and you have to receive me in these areas. God is the judge. All right? In God, I stand or I fall. I don't stand. Now listen, don't take me wrong because I don't want to get a wrong spirit here. I don't stand or fall in you. Boy, that, that, that is a, that's, that's hard right now. You can walk with God, be right with God, and be completely in the will of God, but be walking in utter defeat because people are judging you. And what's happening is you, they make themselves Lord over you. They make themselves judges over you. And so you stand or fall according to their opinion. That will cause people to leave the house of God. It will cause preachers to give up the ministry. Do you understand? I don't stand in what you think about me. You don't stand in what I think about you. You stand in God. You don't fall according to what I think about you. And you don't fall according to what I don't fall according to what you think about me. It depends on what does God think. How does God judge me doing this or not doing this? That's what is important. And I appreciate some of you calling me up and saying, Hey, Pastor, you know, I know the Bible doesn't specifically define yay or nay on this, but how do you feel about this? And I'll tell you, I say, go ahead. But remember, you may have a problem with a brother or sister in a church. They may have a problem. They have a conviction. But remember, we don't stand or fall in each other. We stand or fall in God. <clears throat> there may be, you, you stand before God someday and God say, come on in here. You feel like the whole time you've lived and tried to serve God, live for the Lord. You know, you've obeyed His absolute word. And then in the area of just being relative, in the area of personal conviction, you've done, you've, you've followed the Spirit of the Lord and You've tried to do what's right according to the leading of the Spirit of God. And you still get in heaven. Or you, you're on your way to heaven. You think, man, I'm going to be lost. God's going to judge me. He's not happy with me. And all of a sudden you get in heaven. And God says, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Thou good and faithful servant. And you about drop your teeth out of your mouth. You can't believe that God is going to tell you to enter in to the joy of the Lord. Thou good and faithful servant. And you felt like you've been nothing but a failure and a flop. God says, come on in. Or something like that. Man, oh yeah. Boy, I got an abundant interest. I'm going to be something. Man, God's got a, he got a big one, big mansion waiting for me, boy. I got a big reward waiting in heaven. He says, come on in, son. Come on in, sister. Here's your house. <laughs> Get some binoculars so you can see it. There's <laughs> a way over there. 
And you thought you had, you thought you were going to be right next to the throne. And, and you're having a hard time even seeing the throne. You understand? <clears throat> and you came to that conclusion based on the fact of your earthly success, possibly, and the way people looked at your ministry. And are you with me here? Earthly success or the lack thereof? And people judge by the flesh. They judge by what they see physically as being successful or not being successful. And God doesn't judge that way. And you get to heaven. You thought you was going to be greatly rewarded. He said, no, you're not greatly rewarded. And the person who didn't think they are going to be greatly rewarded ones that get the biggest reward. Because we don't stand or fall in men and the way men judge success and the lack of success. But we stand or fall in God. And if He has received me... And I'm walking under his lordship. And he is my judge. And I need to get a hold of that. God, I stand in you. I fall in you. Come on. I don't want to offend my brother or my sister. Paul's teaching against that in this passage. But I need to understand that I need to receive you. You know why? Because you have a right standing in God because of righteousness that has been imputed to you. So if I'm weak or I'm strong on some of these things, that's okay. Do you understand? My point is this. I stand or fall in Him. I stand or fall in Him. What God thinks about it is important. You understand? Okay. Does this help anybody? Beautiful. Beautiful. So, if, if I look at you, and you don't have a personal conviction like I do on certain things. Do you understand? You know? Ooh, I'm fixing to step out there now. For some of you, you have no problem. Uh, listen. Let me just say this. We're going to get into days in a minute. But you know what? There's no specific day that I have to call a church service. I could have church service on Monday. I can have church service on, on Saturday night and Sunday morning. I don't have to have church service on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday. We can have church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We can have it on any day. Do you understand? But whatever day is called, you, you are not at liberty to not attend that called service. Because it doesn't fall under a, a personal conviction thing. I'm talking about the day you meet is a personal conviction thing. Tonight, I can, I, can, I can make an announcement right now. We won't have service tonight. Some of you go, <gasps> you understand? Uh, you're not going to lose your salvation over that. I know you love the house of God. I know you love to hear me preach. <laughs> you know, I know that. But I'm just trying to show you something. Okay, watch this. Are you here tonight? Today? Are you here? Hallelujah. But see, again, Sunday. It's almost like a sacred day. What made it sacred was when you came in here. What made the day sacred is because you set it apart unto God and you came to worship Him. You should do that every day of the week. This building used to be an oil field building. What made it different was when you walked in. The building's still the same. 
Come on. Are you following my point here? I stand or fall in God. All right. Let me just get out there on one thing. One thing. One thing. I think you can relate to. Fast or slow music. That is a personal conviction thing. God hasn't forbidden us to not listen to fast music. He didn't say, you know, we have to listen to slow music. You know, the faster music. That's of the devil. God didn't say that. A man said that. Okay, are you with me here? So, if, if we allow fast music in here, that's a personal conviction thing. If we allow slow music in here, personal conviction thing, personal conviction thing right? So, a brother comes in, he said, that's, that, 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 that church, that's not a God. That church is not a God because, look, they, they, they let fast music. They let those rock and roll guitars up there on the platform. What is that? All that noise, man. Don't they know where that came from? That came from Africa. Oh, man, all that witchcraft stuff, you know. You with me here? So what we have to do, then we have to, we have to understand, I stand or I fall in God. If God says it's okay for us to have that kind of music, it's okay for you to do the electric, whatever you call that funny thing you do. I mean, that's the way you dance unto God. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. I don't know what all this stuff y'all bring in here. You know, and I'm telling you as a pastor, see, boy, I, I'm, you know, I'm more of the conservative side. And I start seeing y'all do this electric slide thing. And I'm going, hmm. Hmm, Lord. What? I'm over there praying. I'm saying, God, what do you want? Hmm, we're going to defile the whole thing. I'm, I'm being honest with you. God, we fixed to cross the line. We figured to defile the whole service, man. You know, you fixed to walk out the door. You know what I found? God's still here. So that lets me know there's a, an area of personal conviction thing. David comes in place with us and he jams. You know, we're all up there just going for it, praising God and having a good time in God. It's a personal conviction thing. But you'd be surprised how many people would have a problem with the style of music. I've sat in, in meetings with other preachers and it has become the issue. It is the issue at the table. Brother, not you should allow fast music in your church. I'm just giving you one example. Okay? So we have to understand. If I listen to this music, is it going to cause me to backslide? Is it going to cause me to want to go back and listen to the old worldly stuff? If I listen to this faster stuff? A lot of questions you've got to ask yourself. It's still a personal conviction thing. But I understand one thing. I stand and fall in God. I stand or I fall in God. He's my judge. If you got a problem with the fast music, and I know about it, I'm not going to crank it. I know. I take that back. I do it anyway. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't do this, brother Edmonds. He, I think he's joking with me though. I don't know where he really stands. But I, when we went to Riodosa, you know, he's already talking to me about the fast music stuff. You know, so when we come back from Riodosa, I crank up David. Dun, 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 dun. And I was, over there beating on the, I was beating on the steering wheel. <laughs> Woo! Have a good time. That, that apostle from Taiwan, you know, there. Say, come on, brother. Jam down for Jesus, man. You know, we were playing Blue Eyes, Blue Eyes something. Uh, Genie, Genie. The, the abortion song David sings. Anybody, nobody listen to that music? Huh? Blue Eyes for Janie. Yeah, we listen to that. He said, 
Listen to them sing about abortion. I said, brother, they're singing against abortion. He said, don't sound like it to me. It's like they're singing about abortion. No, we were having a good time. You know, we're, we're friends. You know what I'm saying? We're friends. Hallelujah. We like to beat each other up every once in a while, you know. But my, I, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But I, I, could, I could feel in the spirit, you know, if I was a, really offending him or not, you know. But maybe for him, he just doesn't scoot over there because that's not his style of music, you know. And for me, it's, you know, I'm kind of getting over there. And he's having a good time with it and everything. But, but anyway, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to be stupid or anything here. I'm just being real with you and live life with you, you know. But uh, hallelujah. Come on. I can't convert him to, to my style of music. You can't convert me to your style of music. Some of you like Lawrence Welk type. Boy, it's got to really, really be anointed for me to like Lawrence Welk. I mean, the bubble's got to come out. For me, for me to enjoy that style of music, the bubbles have got to be floating. You know, and it's got to be a lot of glory in the house. You know, okay? So I might not be converted to your style of music. You may not be converted to my style of music. But if you've got a problem with it, if you sincerely have a problem with it, I've got to be careful if I'm around you playing it. If you want to joke about it, that's okay. You know, then we're not offending each other. Do you understand? Okay. But, but let me go on here. I keep going off. But anyway, we are to receive each other because, see, I'm trying to bring it in a practical way to you. Number one, because God receives us. Number two, because He is the Lord. Number three, He is the judge. All right? To His own master, He standeth or falleth. That, it, that helps me. That helps me. You try to stand up and preach to people these kinds of things. You try to stand up and preach holiness. You try to stand up and preach the word of God to people. And you, 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 uh, you go through this rejection. And, and, and I can't explain to you the mental struggle you go through. And for me, this helps me, you know. Because you might not care nothing about for me right now, but maybe you'll change your opinion. But how does God look at me? Is God walking up there and saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I know they all just walked out of the church, but well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see? So then I'm standing and I'm following him. And you might walk up to me and you might say, hey, that was great, Pastor. That was wonderful. I appreciate you giving us license to do what we want to. I appreciate you. And I'm not doing that. But I appreciate you just being willing to just say whatever's in your heart. Just do it. I'm so glad, Pastor, that you have come to that conclusion. That you just say whatever's in your heart. I, I'm, I'm just, Pastor, I've been praying for you for years that you would get to that point that you could just say whatever's in our heart, just do it. Okay? So I got you all slapping me on the back and throwing a party and we're having a good time. Not all of you, because some of you really walk close to God in real holiness. You'd walk out of church if I did that. Thank God for you. With me? With me? With me? But let's just say the fleshly carnal Christians are all throwing a party because the pastor decided it'll all be done by the heart. They're all slapping each other on the back. And it's all a good time now. You know? 
but what? You know, I, I fall in God. He walks up and he says, son, he said, that's not right. And, and so I have fallen in the eyes of God. That is not right. You did it. You compromised what you believed because you were under pressure. You gave in to the society and the lifestyle around you. And that's what the world wants. But that's not what I want, saith God. And the whole world is doing their thing and they're going away. But, you know what I mean? You can't go with them. You'll be accepted by the world if you run with the world. So, do you understand what I'm saying? It, it, it's all about what God thinks anyway. <laughs> Ultimately, on non-moral question things, receive you one another. Whew, boy, it's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. See, I know what I'm talking about. See, some of you have a, 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 a ingrained rule that you're supposed to be out of church by 12 o'clock. That is your personal conviction. I must be out by 12 o'clock, but I don't have that conviction. You know, some of you have a conviction. A 30-minute sermon is all I can handle. I don't have that conviction. I haven't even got started yet. Are you still awake? Is this helping anybody? Oh, good. Okay, what's this? Who art thou that judges another man's servant? His own master, he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. See? I can't walk around as a weaker brother. I can't walk around and look at you as worthless. Because you're doing certain things that I have a conviction against. Okay, well, that's brother, that's sister, that's what they believe, so okay. All right? Amen. Yeah, okay. I told you this is dangerous to interpret. That's why I'm walking real careful here. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I have no idea what this day is he's talking about. I even went into the Greek. <laughs> and the Greek didn't help me. <laughs> the Greek just said it's a measurement of time. It. That's all I got here. So I have to go to the context. I have to understand Rome and the melting pot of Rome and all the cultures that are there and the way people looked at days. Okay? And that will help me understand what he's talking about. To the Jewish people, the Sabbath day must be observed. They started evening on Friday, and they went all the way through evening on Saturday. It was a sacred day to them. It was a, it was a sacred day to God. It was a, God, a day that God set up apart unto himself. So God commanded Israel, the Israelite, the Jewish people, to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All right? Okay. So, so they're looking at days, and they're saying, this is a sacred day. Sabbath day is a sacred day. And the feast days, they're sacred days. The Gentiles come in. They've never observed the Sabbath day. They've never observed any of these feast days. They've only observed pagan holidays. And the Jewish people, the Jewish believers are saying, we need to observe these days. Sabbath days, Passover festival days. Come on. The Gentiles don't know nothing about that. Colossians says that 
it was a shadow of things to come. With me? It, it was fulfilled in Christ. But for the Jewish believer, the Jewish believer, they would still set apart the Sabbath day or the seventh day of the week. Saturday. Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Sunday is the first day of the week. This is not the new Sabbath day today. This is the first day of the week. Saturday was the Sabbath day. And so there were certain people in the church that believed you must keep the Sabbath day. I tell you, you must keep the Sabbath. Because the Word of God tells you, you must keep the Sabbath. You must. But I don't tell you to keep the day. Because every day, now that, that we move into this, watch this. Every day is a day of rest in Christ. He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. You can't find rest in a day. You can only find rest in the salvation that Jesus provides. Spiritual rest only comes from Jesus' finished work on the cross. It, it does not come by the works of the law. It doesn't come by keeping a day. But Jewish believer comes in. He believes that he needs to observe, still keep observe the Sabbath day and observe the feast. And I'm not telling you today. Uh, come on, listen. Help me, Jesus. If God says to keep the day, we must. It doesn't matter if I'm Jewish or, or not Jewish. If God tells me that I must keep the Sabbath day, the day, the seventh day, and he tells me I must observe all the feasts, guess what? I must. But I haven't as a pastor come to that conclusion based on the word of God in this error. Okay, I'm not Jewish. Okay, uh, but I haven't come to that conclusion as a pastor that I am to stand up and tell everybody here you have to keep the Sabbath day and you have to keep all the feast. I don't have that. I haven't heard God, at least at this point, tell me that. So at this point, based on the Word of God that I know I could be wrong, I am telling you that the days, the Sabbath day and the feast days are... Based on personal conviction. They are, oh yeah, totally, either way you look at it, fulfilled in Christ. All those festival days pointed to Him and His work. So they are fulfilled with Him, in Him, totally. That is an absolute. But whether or not as a believer I need to go ahead and continue to observe the Sabbath day and the feast days and glean from them more understanding about my salvation... To me, I have to leave in a personal conviction thing. So I have people call me, Pastor, do you feel like we should, that I should keep the Sabbath day uh, or, or not keep the Sabbath day? You know what I tell them? I said, it's up to you. If you feel like you need to observe the Sabbath day, you are a believer. I know you're a believer. You're a born-again believer. Even though I, as your pastor, do not teach that you must, I will tell you if you feel like it's necessary for you to do so, for you to do so, do it. Be fully persuaded in your own mind. If you want to observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath day. Get the books and study it. Find out how they, how they do it, okay? I don't have a problem with that. 
As long as you don't look at the day as your rest and you look at what the day means and you look and you study what happened in that day to give you a greater revelation of Jesus. I teach the feast to you and what they mean. I don't say that's not for us today. I say it's for us today, but let me show you how it's for us today. And I teach you those feasts and I show you how they fulf were fulfilled and are going to be fulfilled. But if you must... As a believer, okay, feel, uh, keep the day, the seventh day, or any of these feasts, it's a personal conviction thing with me at this point. Do it. I don't have a problem with it. Just make sure you're doing it with the right motive. <clears throat> and don't go around to all the people in the church and say, now, you need to keep the Sabbath day. I don't care what pastor says. I don't care what pastor thinks. Pastor believes that, but I don't. You better watch that spirit. Boy, people that do that, they walk up there, they say, Oh, Pastor, he believes it, but I don't believe it. Mm, that's serious stuff right there. You, don't, don't share that to the church. Keep your opinion to yourself. You're, you have a right to an opinion. I'm not going to take your opinion away. You have a right to an opinion. But when you start going in the turn saying, well, that's what pastor believes, but it's not what I believe. Then what you're doing is you're creating division. Creating division. You understand? Okay. About the days. Okay. So let me apply this to you. For us, as believers here in Odessa, Texas, and I don't know that I have any Jewish believers in here who keep the Sabbath day. If you do, God bless you. If you're truly born again believer, God bless you. No problem with that. Okay? You keep the feast and you're not a Jewish believer. Lord bless you. Okay? Hallelujah. That's the way I look at it. I love the feast of the Lord. What I can glean and learn about Jesus. You know, you might, you know I might keep the Sabbath day. I might keep Passover or, or trumpets or Pentecost or whatever. And, and just, just observe and try to go through it. Why? You know why I would do that? To learn more about Him. The appointed days. You know? And I might, we might do it someday. I've had Sister Celia teach on Hanukkah uh, to uh, the young people in the back. Hanukkah, Jewish festival Hanukkah that's in parallel to in, in this month of December. It's a, it's a Jewish thing. It happened to Jewish people, but we still do it sometimes to teach the children with or to teach the adults with. It's a great thing. You know, so don't get offended if I do a Passover Seder because I'm trying to teach you about Christ. It's not that I'm telling you we've got to keep Passover now. Okay, but for us, we have got this idea that Sunday is the day of the Lord. I mean, it is the Sabbath day. It's holy. The day Sunday is not holy in and of itself. Wednesday is not holy in and of itself. Uh-oh, I'm fixing it. Oh, I don't know if I should say this because I'm not going to say it because I might offend some of you. Okay, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Maybe, y'all strong enough? Maybe you're strong enough. You know what? On Sunday, can I tell you something? When I go on vacation, I don't always go to church on Sunday. <gasps> pastor, don't go to church on Sunday. <gasps> what are you doing, Pastor? Well, I have service in my little trailer with my family. And, and then, you know what I, then you know what I do? I go fishing. I can't believe that. 
on the sacred, solemn, holy day, pastors voting. I'm being honest with you. Now, now, brother, you're not walking down to the church on me because I... I mean, I'd change right now. I mean, I don't, don't want to offend you, man. Hallelujah. To watch a baseball game or a football game on a, the holy, sacred, solemn day? Oh! Lord, forgive me. Now, I'm going to tell you, if this tape goes into the hands of somebody that has a problem, conviction with that, then I've already offended them. But I'm just using these as points, okay? <laughs> Personal conviction thing. Hallelujah. If I take care of business, God don't get mad at me. I sit down and watch a little bit of a football game, and I come up here. I've been more anointed sometimes after I watch a football game. Do you understand? I'm all inspired. Let's go team, you know. And, <clears throat> and I see some of those coaches, you know, all fired up, you know. And I say, oh, yeah, I'm ready tonight, you know. <laughs> but, but anyway, that, that's just an example. Okay. So the day itself is not in and of itself, you know, sacred and holy. But because we have made it a day where we assemble to worship God and hear the word of the Lord, then we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Okay, watch this. So much more so as you see that day approaching. Okay. This is Sunday. I can, I can tell you that we're going to start having Sunday on Monday. <laughs> Have church on Monday. And I guarantee you, would be, some of you would be freaking out. Because we don't do church on. Do you understand the difference between uh, variables? Variables in the Word of God. Things that even God changed. Variables. Variables. And then on the other side, things that are not a variable. Constants. Do you understand the difference between constants and Variables. See, that's why I'm telling you, even in the area of the dietary law, you've got to be careful. That could be a variable you're trying to bring over into a constant. That's why I'm real careful about some of this. Because there are many things in the Word of God that were variables. Blood sacrifice was a variable. Jesus' blood is a constant. Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a variable. The deity of Jesus Christ is a constant. See, when you study all of this, you've got to understand variables and constants. In the Old Testament, there are constants that are still constants today. In the Old Testament, there are variables that are variables for sure today. Do you understand? There are constants in the Old Testament that are variables today. Bringing a blood sacrifice was a constant in the Old Testament. It's a variable today. To not do it in the Old Testament, you'd have died and gone to hell. Variables and constants. Is this helping y'all? See, I'm throwing a lot of stuff. I'm hanging a lot of wires out there right now. You have to understand variables and constants. So what I'm trying to tell you about the day thing, the day thing, in my opinion, this is my opinion, this is my judgment, after careful consideration, 
that the day was a variable. The Sabbath day was a variable. The feast days were variables. They were fulfilled in Christ. They were the goal of Christ. Do you understand? They were constants in the Old Testament. Blood sacrifice, constants in the Old Testament. But when Jesus Christ came, when he died on the cross, they stopped at the cross. Those constants stopped at the cross. Now, there are some things in the Old Testament, though, that came through the cross. The moral law came through the cross. It's still binding on us today. So when you talk about days, then to me, they're variables. Variables. If I meet at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, that's a variable. I can change it to 3 in the afternoon. Variable. If I meet at 6 o'clock, that's a variable. If I meet it all on Sunday, that's a variable to me. Hallelujah. Not a constant. You understand? But one brother esteems a day. You know, that's sacred. Another brother esteems every day alike. Another brother sees every day is sacred. Every day is holy. Every day is a feast in God. There is no secular versus spiritual to that brother. Everything he does in life or she does in life, if it's recreation, if it's eating, if it's working, if it's worshiping, if it's reading the word, if it's te- everything they do is sacred to them because it's not secular versus spiritual to them. You understand? Every day is a feast. Every day is a day unto the Lord. Every day is a day of celebration to that brother. Every day is sacred. Every day is holy. Before the fall, that's the way it was. Every day was sacred. Okay, with me here? Is this helping anybody? Every day is sacred to me. I'm not spiritual as soon as I put my, 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 my jacket and my tie on. Mmm. Now I'm super spiritual pastor. No, man. Every day I'm supposed to live holy unto God. I'm not exempt from the word of God. I'm not, I don't have liberty to disobey the word of God at any time. But these variables of these days can change. And I believe they have. And the way this, the blood, the atonement's taken care of, is swallowed up in the cross. That's the way I interpret it. Okay. Yeah. But if we call a meeting, then we meet. Doesn't give you a license to say, okay, I have a, I don't have a conviction that I should go to church today. Mm-mm. Then you're violating another truth of the word of God. As long as you're in town, come to church. If you're on vacation, I don't care if you go to church. (laughs) If you go, wonderful, praise the Lord. You know, but if you don't go, okay, wonderful too. You understand? I'm going to tell you something, man. I'm, I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm on the phone seven days a week, sometimes 24 hours a day. And I'm telling you, man, when I go on vacation, last thing I want to see is church people. 
You hearing what I'm saying? I mean, the last thing I want to see is church people. If I see them in Walmart, I go to the other side of the store. No, it's not quite that bad. But, but see, I do this for a living, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you want to go mingle and make friends all over the U.S., go right ahead. That's fine, that's fine. You don't do this for a living, you know. Hallelujah. I love you guys. So anyway, and I'll guarantee you, somebody hear this tape. <gasps> and I'm not trying to be like that. See, I, gotta, I got to be careful. Got to be careful. But I believe that I'm, I am walking where I'm supposed to be walking in this. You understand? One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Fully persuaded. That's important. You've got to be fully persuaded in your own mind about these personal conviction things in the area of what you eat, in the area of the days that you observe unto God. To me, every day is holy. Every day. Whew. Yeah. You know, the main thing is, get Godward. For the set man, Moses, he said, you get Godward. Okay? You be for us. Godward. You get Godward. I can get Godward sometime driving down the road. I don't have to get Godward in a prayer meeting. I can get Godward driving down the road. The point is, get Godward. Get Godward. Now, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, then we can say, okay, all right, I'm out here on vacation. Now I can just completely forget God. Well, then you go to the other side, the other extreme, and that's not right. You go on vacation. You don't take a vacation from God. You don't sh quit all your holiness, stop all your holiness principles because you're on vacation. Go and watch things that you would have never gone and watched. Be on vacation. So now you've got a license to not be holy. Boy, I'm glad I got the Holy Ghost, man. Put some stuff, put, put it right, stop it right dead in its tracks. You don't take a vacation from God. Yeah. You go on vacation. You need to be the same Christian you are here. I mean, if you don't, then you're just nothing more than a hypocrite. You're playing the part. Hallelujah. Praise God. That help you? Yes, sir. Okay. How many of y'all believe that every day is holy, sacred unto God? I'm just teaching this this morning. I'm not hanging from rafters or anything. So, you know, don't, don't think it's not anointed. I've been anointed since I got up here. I've been anointed just to talk to you. Yeah. That every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, re regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth it not, not the day, to the Lord, he doth not regard it. Look at that. Unto the Lord. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. Whatever you do, do unto the Lord. When it comes to non-moral question things. Que things of question. Things of personal conviction. Okay. You keep this day 
You keep it under the Lord. If you keep the Sabbath day, you keep it under the Lord. If you don't keep it, you don't keep it under the Lord. With me? Now, let me, sh- let me get over here into this. And let's, let's, let me jump right off down here. We're angels, fear to tread. Well, pastor, that must mean that I can do Christmas. Because if I do Christmas, if I do it under the Lord, I do it under the Lord. And, and then the other brother says, well, I don't do Christmas. And so I don't do it uh, because I have, I believe the Lord doesn't want me to do it. So I don't do it unto the Lord. You can't put that one in that. You can't squeeze that in this passage. Because God has forbidden us to observe the practices of the pagans. He has told us to not worship God after the way the pagans worship their God. He has forbidden us to do that. Isaiah, he talks about the, 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 this feast to many and, and Gad, that troop. That, that's just another name for Mithra worship or, or, or Baal worship that is connected to Christmas. Isaiah what? 65. God does not take pleasure in his people observing that practice. Do you understand? So when I found that passage, boy, that was it. Isaiah 65 passage. I, I could no longer teach it as a personal conviction thing. God forbade it. Another passage in the Bible. Do not worship me after the manner of the heathen. You can't put Jesus in this day and call it Jesus. Do you understand? So I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to take that one away from you. What I mean by that is this. I'm going to take that conclusion you have that it's okay to observe Christmas because, you know, I'm going to worship God in it. And I'm not going to get caught up in the pagan trappings of it. And I'll just call it Jesus. Okay? And then some people say, no, I'm not going to keep it because it's all pagan. It, this, that one doesn't fit because we have clear biblical teaching that we're not to practice that pagan way of worship. Even by putting him in it. Syncretism is what God judged Israel for. Mixing Baal worship with the true worship of God. Baal worship with the true worship of God. Mixing the two together is why God judged them. That's why God sent them into captivity. If you take a pagan holiday and you try to mix Christ with it, you are a Babylonian worshiper. You are celebrating Saturnalia. You are celebrating Nimrod. You are celebrating... uh, False pagan festival. And you call it Christ. There's no way you can do that. There is no way. I'm just telling you as a pastor. If, if, if I were trying to find a way. Uh, to allow us to observe this holiday. This would be the, the passage that I would go to. I can't use it as a pastor. I, God, I believe that God is a God of freedom and a God of liberty and wants to set you free in life and enjoy life. And I, as a pastor, am not looking for things to condemn and preach against. Do you understand? That if I biblically could find a way, biblically, and I'm not trying to find a loophole, but biblically, if I could show you that it's okay for you to observe that holiday... I'd be the first one to stand up and tell you, let's go. Let's, let's celebrate Jesus. Let's, let's get in front of the parade. Let's throw the party. Do you not believe that? You need to study these things for yourself. I've taught you. 
but you still need to study them. You can't put that holiday or Halloween or Valentine's Day or all these holidays that people, even Christians say, well, it's just up to your personal conviction. You can't put those holidays in that passage. Come on, you with me here? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Now, it's very difficult, though, because you live in this society. All right? You take a stand against the pagan side of it. Now, okay, here comes a question. Ooh, good, huh? All right, Pastor, I firmly believe that I am not supposed to participate in Christmas, but can I receive the bonus check? <laughs> Okay, you know, they put it in a Christmas card, got, you know, Mithra uh, in the arms of the Madonna, and uh, they slide that check in there, and they hand it to you, and I don't do Christmas. Hmm. Oh, a bonus. Wow. Well, I don't believe that when you receive that bonus that you're practicing Christmas. <laughs> Brother Moses, phew. <laughs> <clears throat> Hallelujah. Let me just put it this way. Why don't you just give it all to God and you have to worry about it? <laughs> just sanctify the whole thing to God. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, man. No, I don't believe it. But again, on that, personal conviction. That's when personal conviction steps in. Okay. I believe we're forbidden by the Word of God to observe the holiday. Absolute. Not conviction thing. Absolute. Right? But when it talks about, friend, I want to tell you, you'd have to walk out of this world completely, just disappear to not, ha not be influenced at all by it. Do you understand? You, you can receive your bonus check. Oh, but pastor. Huh, okay. I can hear some of you talking to me. Now, pastor, that's not right. That's not right. I don't feel that's right, pastor. Well, that's your conviction thing again, see? Watch this. Okay, it might not be right for you to take the bonus check, but did you go to the store and get a 50% off? Did you buy something 50% off? And it says, clearly, Christmas sale. And you walked in there, and you bought that thing, and you went over there, and you paid the cash, and you walked out and said, I got a good deal. Look, 50% off. And the rat, the rat clearly said, Christmas sale. And they dedicated the whole thing to Christmas. They offered it to their idol. And the weak brother walks in there. I can't buy that. I'll go over here and buy the one. Don't say Christmas sale. I'll go pay another $100 extra for the same coat because that rack don't say Christmas sale. And the strong brother, sister, go over this rack. and She pulls the coat off and she pays that half price. And it said Christmas sale over the top of it. And didn't feel nothing wrong with it at all. Understand? So there are certain absolutes that I have to follow. But within those absolutes, there's room for conviction, personal conviction, about the style of the dress, about the way you wear your hair, about buying that cloth that's 50% off, about receiving that bonus check. Then that would fall under. It's not an absolute forbidden thing. But how does it affect your conscience? After Halloween, they have the best deals on candy. 
chocolate. Oh, my. I mean, you can buy a whole basket full for what you... Before Halloween, buy one little, little bag. After Halloween, you can buy the whole basket for the same price. But see, then you have to say, okay, can I eat this chocolate that's got a jack-o'-lantern on the outside of it? I mean, it's not just on the package. It's on the chocolate. It's got the face of a jack-o'-lantern on it. Hi. I tell Christina to buy everything she can get her hands on. <laughs> the ones that have the carvings, they're the best. And I hope I'm not violating your conscience or anything, but I do. I, we go for it. We get a basket full of stuff. I'll, get all, I'll break out. You get... Okay, so do you understand? You have to walk with the absolute. Stay, stay away from what God forbids. But then understand that even in those things, there's room for convictions. Are you, help, are you, are you helping me? Are you... Are you are you here? Oh, don't tell me. Don't look at me like that, y'all sanctimonious pious self. I didn't I ain't no, no, Pastor. I don't buy chocolate after Halloween. It's got them jack-o'-lanterns and them, all that stuff on them. I just stay away from it, you know. I'm just telling you that you would have to walk completely out of this world to not be influenced some way by it. <clears throat> But if you'll take a stand where you're supposed to take a stand absolutely, Amen. you will, listen, you will be surprised. Do you know? I want to share this with you. We've been talking to my mother about this for years. Okay? My mother, she's a great lady. I love her. She's wonderful. She, she, I, I just love her. I mean, she's got a great spirit attitude. Anyway, she, uh, you know, she was raised in Christmas and all that. And uh, her parents did it and all that. But we're sharing with my mom. We're not cramming it down her throat and, and condemning her and, and all of that. And my kids go to her house and she's got a tree up. And, you know, okay, you know, so I got to use a little wisdom here. You're not going to Granny's because she got a tree in the house. You're not going next door. They got lights on the house. You, you know, you're quarantined. You know, man, they don't know any different. You know what I'm saying? They don't know any different. But, but what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to take the opportunity. My kids know what's right, and then I'm sharing with, with my mom, because she's, she's open. And this year, we got to talk to her yesterday about this, and I have never seen my mom move like she did yesterday. She said, give me the information. I want the information. She said, give it to me. She said, I want to read it. I told her about the website on Santa Claus. She said, I'm going to go check this out. You know, she said, I'm not sure that I'll change my mind on it. I said, that's your, that's you. Okay, but this is the truth. You see what I'm saying? But, but, but see, we can, we can miss it. We can miss by, by, by not observing an absolute. Then, if we're not careful, we carry that over into other areas. And, and that's where we get in a problem. You see? Because then I could say, okay, you're not going to grandma's house. Because she's got a tree. You're not going to grandma's house. She's got lights, okay? And here comes grandma, and she wants to bring things to the kids, and the, all these, the family want to bring things to the kids. You know what I do on that? I say, we don't do Christmas. You know we don't do Christmas. 
but I'm not going to withhold you. If you want to give the kids, I don't have a problem with that, right? Do you understand? Now, some of you would have a problem with that. Maybe you may think I'm compromising, but I'm trying to keep the absolute absolute and then walk in the area of, of liberty, conviction. Now, I wasn't going to get off on all this, but, you know, but I, I think I feel like I need to, to help you. You with me? Now, it would be different, though, if they took the Santa Claus, my family, and put it in my front yard. And I drive up, and the Santa Claus is in my front yard. Oh, I'd, I'd karate chop him. I'd rip him up. Boy, I'd, just, I'd rip his head off. I'd go over there, and I'd throw it on their front doorstep and stomp on it in front of them. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. You understand? Then you've crossed the line. You've come over and you pushed it on me. Right. You know, some, somebody in my family a few years ago, they put a jack-o'-lantern in my front, front of my house. Ooh. I got home. Man, I was, I'd been mowing all day long and I was already tired anyway. And I was pulling up my tractors and stuff in the, into my, in the back of my trailer and I almost jumped it, man. Ooh. I went and got that thing. I picked it up, and I went straight over to that, to, to my family's house, and I put it right there. I said, boy, they knew I was upset. Hallelujah. But see, you crossed the line then. You know what I'm saying. Boy, thank God I almost killed myself <laughs> over a pumpkin. <laughs> see, maybe, maybe I'm getting a little bit wiser, you know, and this next time that ever happens... Instead of karate chopping and ripping the Santa Claus off apart and going and stomping on him in their front yard or throwing the pumpkin through their window. <laughs> I'll just walk over there real calmly and cool and collected and say, you know, we don't do this. Love you. Here you go. You have your pumpkin back. And just walk off. Maybe that be a little better, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you got to keep the absolute, the absolute. But you also have to learn, you have to walk in wisdom because there's variables that surround these things. And if you're not careful, you'll jump off the deep end, man. Are you with me? Okay. Now, if it's your conviction, personal conviction, you shouldn't receive the bonus. Anybody in here like that? I need to know. I don't want to be talking like this if, if you're offended at what I'm saying. Anybody have a problem receiving that Christmas bonus? Anybody in here? Nobody, but we take an absolute stand against practicing the holiday and its pagan origins, right? And calling it the birthday of Jesus, right? Sound like you got some pretty good wisdom. Brother Bobby goes, Phew. <clears throat> Now I'm really going to step out there. Your boss and them, they throw, a, they, they throw a party, okay? You know what? I can't because I'm a, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in that Christmas pagan holiday. I'm not going to your stupid thing. That poor guy, he's trying to do something for you at the end of the year, you know? I mean, he, he genuinely wants to do something for you. You act like an idiot. Jump off in his face, tell him he's going to hell. You're going to hell, you know? No, no, no. Okay, you don't observe it, right? You know what you do? You go, say thank you, appreciate it. You know, don't participate. You don't have to participate in all the drinking and all that stuff that goes on with it. Just, just, just let that boss know you appreciate what he's done. 
Do you, do you follow me? And that's my opinion on it. That's my judgment. If you don't want to go, that's your business, okay? I'm not going to make you go. But I'm just telling you, you know, sometimes we do more harm than we do good. You know? I mean, don't, don't walk over. Yeah, yeah, and they're serving ham too and everything else. But, <laughs> but you don't have to walk in, in mama's house and, and she's got a big tree up there to, to be a saint of God and drive the money changers out. You got your, you got your chainsaw. <laughs> You're whacking that thing down right in her front, front of her house. Don't you know this is an idol God? <laughs> some of y'all look at me. Well, Pastor, I wouldn't, I wouldn't act like that anyway. Well, there could be some that handle it that way. Now, I got a lot of zeal for God. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me. I ain't talking to you. I got a lot of zeal for God. A lot of zeal for truth. And when I, listen, if you ever get me to believe something, I believe it. I mean, I don't, I believe it. You understand? So I've got to be careful sometimes the way I handle it. Now, if you are in my church and I drive by your house and I see a tree, I'm going to knock on your door, man. And I got my hatchet and I got my chainsaw. And if you don't open the door, I'm going to cut the door down. Hmm. And I'm going to throw it out in the front yard. I'm going to stomp on it. Cast that devil out of the tree and you too. <laughs> if you're in my church. You know. Okay. Let me finish this. This is, this is uh, real important. That's why I'm telling you. You've got to be careful how you handle this passage. I leave absolutes, absolutes. Constants, constants. Variables, variables. Personal conviction things. Personal convictions. Good. You know, some of y'all think, some, for you, you've got it all wrapped up. But I've had to pay careful consideration to all these things I've told you. You understand? For some of you, you you've given yourself a license to even go across the absolutes. You don't want to do that. Okay? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> I just, I really don't believe that when I get to heaven that God is going to look at me and say, Now, son, you went too far. With teaching against, I said no to. Do you believe that? I believe that he would say, you've gone too far. Though if I preach a personal conviction as a doctrine, a biblical doctrine, I can't do that. Do you understand? You know, I have a problem with Brother Heath wearing high heels. But I don't have a problem with Sister Celia wearing high heels. You know, I don't know why you want to do that. All oh, your toes crammed up in the front of that shoe. Oh, you got ingrown toenails. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, you pull, you pull the high heel shoe off. And instead of having these nice flat nails, they're all crunched up. They like, look, look like roofs. You know what I'm saying? And you got all kinds of feet problems. You know, but the Bible doesn't condemn you for wearing high heels if you're a woman. Uh, it, I have a problem for a man doing that. But you're probably going to have some feet problems. I'll just tell you. I just don't know how you do it. I mean, gravity is just pulling all your toes into one place. You know what I'm talking about. I just wonder how many women have got toenails that look like that. They're all, instead of being flat, they're all just crunched up. Every one of them like that. 
And you, you go to the doctor and say, I don't know what the problem is, doc. You know, you're, you're, what are you doing? You're, you're violating the laws of gravity. You're trying to shove a size 10 foot foot into a six, size six shoe. How's that feel, ma'am? Good. We're going to have to cut the back out. <laughs> no, it feels good to me. And I don't, it really, personally, I don't, you know, you might have a conviction about even what kind of leather to wear. You, some, for some of you, it has to be cowhide only. Some of you has to be synthetic, you know, man-made materials. Uh, some of you, you probably have a, maybe a conviction against crocodile or snake or, I, the Bible doesn't tell, doesn't. Right, you follow what I'm trying to say? Receive you one another in these areas. You've got to learn, even if you do have a personal conviction about something, all right, that God hasn't forbidden in the Word, you still have to be careful about how you treat the stronger brother. And the stronger brother has to be careful about how he treats the weaker brother on these things because we need unity in the house. This is the beloved. This is the body of Christ. If you know, if you know your brother's got a conviction about it, don't do it around them. I'm not telling you you've got to stop it. I'm just telling you don't do it around them. Okay, let me finish this. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. See, that's the principle. Come on. We are not on an island by ourselves. We're in the body of Christ. No man liveth unto himself, and no man dieth unto himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live thereof or we die, we are the Lord's. Stand or fall in Him in these things. Okay? Ooh, okay, I'll share that too. I had a pastor, or a preacher, not a pastor, but a preacher that was coming here to service with us for a while. They still did the Christmas thing, okay? He asked me. He knew what I believed. He knew what I taught here. He said, do you make that a matter of fellowship? What he meant by that was this. If I uh, observe any of this, are you going to kick me out of the church? I told him, no, I'm not going to do that. It's the truth. I'm not going to do that. So once you come to the house of God, you follow me? You just don't understand. You don't have the knowledge. I, I truly believe that once you get the truth on it, you won't do it no more. You'll be, you'll be just like me, okay, if you're honest. See what I'm saying? Mm. Verse 9. For, the, for to this end Christ both died, rose, and revived, that he, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give account to himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge in this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. In the area of even personal conviction things, questions of conscience, we all have different ideas about things. And if I know it would create a stumbling block for you, for you, that I am to abstain from that. 
in your presence. Right? This is about the beloved of God. I know I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. We know 2 Corinthians, 1, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says to touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you unto myself. Touch not the unclean thing. He says here, I know I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. The point is this. The context defines what he's talking about. Because it is clear in the Bible that there are certain activities that you can participate in. Certain things that you can do that are unclean. So you can't say that, okay, anything. I can look at anything and say, there's nothing unclean in and of itself. You can't use that as a blanket cover-up for evil. Don't, your, don't let your liberal, liberality or your liberty be a cover-up for evil. Does that make sense? Touch not the unclean thing. My point is there are certain activities, certain things that you can do that will make you unclean and that are unclean to you. The context, what is unclean here is meats. Okay? Don't put a stumbling block in, in your brother's way. Okay, I know I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Even if, it's un, even if it's clean in the eyes of God, even if it's clean in the eyes of the strong brother, if you look at it as being unclean, it's unclean to you. It's unclean to you. Not to God necessarily and not to your brother or sister, but to you it is because that is the, the uh, conviction you have about it. But again, don't go push your convictions on that for other people. And then you, if you've got liberty in that area, don't try to go and persuade the weaker brother that it's okay. Let them live in their conviction on it. All right? Mm, okay, watch this. Oh, yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you mind giving me some? Do you mind me giving you some examples here to help you along? I'm really trying here. You know, you go to the store and you look at a certain shoe, and for you, you feel, man, I can't do that. That wouldn't be right for me to buy that shoe. Another sister walks in there, our brother walks in, and says, I like that shoe, and he buys it and walks out, no problem. For you to buy that shoe that you felt was that you should not buy, is wrong for you to do. It's not necessarily evil in and of itself, but it's wrong for you because you determined that you shouldn't get it. And if you do, you're violating your conscience. See, you got to go, you don't always have chapter and verse, you got to go by an inward check in the spirit. And sometimes God won't even put a check, He won't even convict you about it. He'll give, give you freedom to buy the car you want to drive. The kind of car, car you want to drive, he'll give you the freedom to make that decision. Do you understand? All right, then you have to deal with your conscience. Hmm, can I buy that car? What's my conscience telling me? You with me here? No, I don't think I should do that. If you go ahead and you do it, 
then you violated your conscience. It's not even God putting a check in your spirit. It's not even a violation of the word of God. You violated your conscience. Now you got to live with a, with a conscience that's, that has brought some condemnation and you're no longer walking in victory and confidence and power and faith and the joy of the Lord. You with me? Let me give you an example. There's a, a young man in the church, a young woman in the church. They're not married. Okay? This young man says, you're my dream. They're not married. You're my dream. I believe that God has spoken to me, that, that you belong to me. And she says, God hadn't spoken to me. You have a conviction that I belong to you, but I don't have a conviction that I belong to you. You with me here? All right. Well, what if she just decides to go ahead and get in a relationship with this young man because of what he said, but her conscience is violated. She doesn't feel right about the relationship. She doesn't feel nothing wrong with him. He's a good brother, but she doesn't feel right about it in her spirit, in her conscience, and it's not even God telling her no. God's not even telling her no, but she doesn't feel right in her conscience that she should get in that relationship. She does it anyway. She lives with that the rest of her life. If they end up getting married, in her mind, you know what? I really don't know. I, I don't think I should have done this. There was a question in her mind to begin with. As a question carries on and over and over and over and over. It's not that God forbade it. It's not that the word of God forbade it. But did your conscience tell you something? Now be careful. You understand? Woo. Can be unclean, become unclean to you. That relationship can become unclean to you. Because you're violating your own conscience to stay in it. Now, I tell you what, if the Holy Ghost ever checks you on something, you better not do it. I don't care how good the brother or the sister is in the church. You better not violate. In the church, you better not violate. You better not override that check in the spirit. Because if you do, you're going to find out later on why. And you for sure don't want to violate the word of God, which means you cannot date an unbeliever. Absolutely, the Bible forbids it. You cannot date an unbeliever. End of story. I don't care how pretty he is. I don't care how pretty she is. I don't care how much money. I don't care if they think they're going to live for God in the future. Where, is, where are they positionally right now? So even in relationships, you've got to take that into this text. Look in relationships. Your conscience. What does your conscience say about the, the brother or the sister? Okay? If you're not hearing anything in your spirit, there's no check in your spirit, and there's no violation of the Word of God, what does your conscience say? Help you? Right. I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Again, the context is meats. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. They looked at it and said, that was offered to an idol. I can't buy that and I can't eat that. So to them it was unclean. That's the context. But if thy brother be greed with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitable? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. So, you don't want to participate in these non-moral question things if it's going to cause your brother or sister to be grieved. Grieved. You understand? Or hurt. Hurt. What does that mean? Grieved or to be hurt. That means if you participate in it, you try to maybe change their opinion on it, and then they go ahead and they do it, 
then they violated their conscience and you have hurt their walk with God. They're, they're grieved, they're hurt. Thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Destroy doesn't mean you're going to kill him. He's going to lose his soul. It means that it's going to take his sense of well-being away. Okay? You understand? They'd be walking in love. We don't want to grieve. We don't want to hurt the other person's conviction. We don't want to take that sense of well-being away from them. Are you here with thy meat for whom Christ died? Watch this. Let me give you another example. Okay, I'm just trying to intertwine some, per- some examples here that touch our lives. Okay? You know a brother in the church or a sister in the church or a couple, they, don't, they, don't, they have a conviction about going to the movies. They don't have a problem with watching it on DVD, okay, when it comes out, but they don't want to go to the movies. That violates their conscience. So you go to them and say, hey, sister, come on, let's go watch so-and-so movie. Come on, it's going to be all right. It'll be good. Come on. And all of a sudden, you see this look on their face, and you can tell they're hurt and grieved. And they say, you know what? I don't really feel like I should do that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And you keep pushing. Oh, come on. There's nothing wrong with it. Come on. Let's go have a good time. Come on. And so the whole time, you're driving to the movie house. You, everything's wonderful with you. There's a strong, strong understanding about it. You get to the film, and you look at your friend, and they're, they're not happy. They're not excited. And they walk it, and the whole time, feeling uneasy. You can tell they're uneasy about it. You know what you've just done? You've destroyed them. Because you have taken their sense of well-being away from them. Because they've crossed the line in their conscience about something that God didn't forbid, or the Word forbid. But their own mind said, I don't feel like I should go there. And you talked them into it, and you took their well-being away. Mm, Think about that. See, it's more than just chapter and verse. And it's even more than the Spirit of God checking you. It's about the conscience of another brother or sister that you've got to think about. Amen? Amen? Yeah? If I get in the presence of a pastor who doesn't, doesn't believe, you know, I took the whole church to see the passion of the Christ. Right? Well, one pastor said, well, I'm just going to wait for the DVD to come out. Well, to me, it doesn't really matter if you show it here or you show it there. The location, to me, doesn't make any difference. The content does. But I'm not going to, ah, you dumb. I'm not going to say, eh, your thinking's not right. What different? I'm not going to try to teach him. He's got a conviction about going to that theater and, and, and watching that movie there. I don't. I bought tickets. We bought tickets at a church for whoever wanted to go see the Passion of the Christ. And we took the whole group. Okay? But do you follow me? Um, you've got to be careful about questions of conscience, though, on this. See, some of you didn't realize how far this can go, did you, until today. See? I got it right. God hadn't told me it's wrong. Word of God hadn't forbade it. What about somebody's conscience? See, I think, I think God is helping us do a real good job this morning on this passage. Now, you get it with a brother or a sister, and they don't have any problem with going to a theater and watching any kind of movie as long as it doesn't violate morality. 
and they can go with you, then go. But don't violate somebody else's conscience that can't go. Yes, Lord. Is this helping anybody here today? Now, in the area of DVDs or video or going to the movies, well, pastor, where are you going to draw the line? G, PG, PG-13, R. No, oh, that's... Can't go. Content. Passion of the Christ was rated R. So I get here and say, no rated R movies. Absolutely not. Then I take you to the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> See? So I can't tell you G, PG, PG 13, R, but I can tell you as soon as you start watching it, you're going to know because your spirit, your spirit, either God's going to convict you, boom. And if you're, if you're you know, if you still got the Holy Ghost in you, God's going to convict you. And if you don't feel conviction, your conscience is going to start eating at you. And you know, and here comes the flesh. That old flesh rise up, and the flesh says, now, yes, yeah, that's not too bad. That's okay. It's okay. That's the sin nature. Sin nature. Sin nature. Not your, your the sin nature. That's okay. Go ahead. All right. And it'll try to justify and reason. Yeah, that's all right. But your conscience is telling you, hmm, it's crossing the line. with me yeah i know this is good so you know and then again even on television i don't believe we have television now how you you all gonna go to hell that's got a that's a one-eyed devil you better not have a television in your house and then you go around and you preach it and the pastor he don't say that and you go around and you're telling everybody i don't oh, this is what i believe i'll believe you know well come on man that's good you don't want one burn it i don't care all right I got one. <gasps> you know, I have one. And so I'm not going to get up and be a hypocrite. Tell you. But you have to be fully persuaded on that. You don't want television? Don't get one. If you come to my house and I got one, then I'm just probably doing my best not to watch it while you're there. Unless the Cowboys are playing. Now, the Cowboys are playing, you can forget it. I don't care what kind of conviction you got. No, I'm just joking. I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm really messing myself up today. Real bad. Really, really bad. All right? Yeah. This is good, isn't it? This is better than you, you know, yeah, than you're acting. <coughs> Now, listen to me. If your pastor believes something is an absolute and you try to convince me otherwise, you're going to have war on your hands. You will have war. Because I, if I believe it to be fundamental, Im, fundamentally important to the spiritual well-being and health of this church and you're trying to push it down my throat otherwise, if I see it that importantly, you're going to have a problem. And I'll let you know real quick. You understand? I will take a stand on it. Now, what about personal conviction things? Well, if I set a code in the house, I want you to abide by it. You know what I'm saying? But I don't think I've been out of the Bible, have I? I haven't told any of you, any of you women, you know, that you've got to wear cat rim glasses. Like the old ancient 50s and 60s, you know. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
I mean, I'm trying to stay in the Bible. But when I believe something, I believe it. You know, at least I'm not telling you you got to row, like some Pentecostal churches tell you you got to row your little, little new dealies right here. Right here, you know. And, and, I mean, come on. You're young. Some of you are young. Some of you are young. Some, almost all of you are young. Let me just put it that way. All of you are young. Come on. You don't, you don't have to look old. Man, come on. Holiness is not ugliness. You know what I'm trying to tell you? Man, I, and some of you sisters, you're doing better, you know? Come on. My, you think ugly is holy, and I'm trying to tell you it's not. You know? Man. Thank you, God. I, w- I want you to kind of look a little at least... You know, this is 2005, you know. Oh, no. Lord, help me. Okay, watch this. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitable? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Jesus died for that brother, that sister. You're going to push your opinion and your liberty on him or her? Don't you understand what's at stake here? This is the beloved of God here. You know, sometimes we gotta, we got to say no to ourselves for the sake of somebody else. I know some of you are getting tired. You're not used to this kind of lengthy service, but I'm sorry. I've just got to do this. I've got to do this. This is too important. Destroy not him. Don't take that sense of well-being. That's what it really means. With thy meat for whom Christ died. And it can go even further than that. They could lose their soul. Over a personal conviction thing. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. What God has given to you. The good things that God has given to you. Then don't let it be evil spoken of. Okay you with me here? Just because somebody thinks it's wrong. Doesn't mean it's wrong. But if God has released it, or He's done it for you, or He's blessed you with it, okay, just walk in the freedom of that. But let me show you another way to look at this. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Don't let this freedom that you have give you a license for evil. Don't let your good become a cover-up for evil. Don't let your liberty, Peter talks about it, don't let your liberty... Become a cover for evil. See? If you're not careful, you're like, well, I got liberty, you know. I got, I got freedom in that area. But then all of a sudden, really all it is is just a cover-up for some hidden agenda. It's just a cover-up for a rebellious spirit. It's just a cover-up for an attitude. It's just a cover-up. I'm going to get my way. It's just a cover-up. See what I'm saying? Yeah. You understand? Walk in the freedom that God has given you. The good things that He's given you. Enjoy life. Enjoy God. Enjoy each other. Enjoy the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. It's wonderful living for God. But don't use that liberty for an occasion for the sin nature, for the flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof. With me here? 
Now watch. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, moral uprightness, righteousness, moral uprightness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So that's the kingdom of God. Righteousness, uh, uh, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is located in the spirit. The kingdom of God is not a geographical location. The kingdom of God is located in the spirit. Come on. It's not in the ceremonial observation. It's in the spirit. Righteous, moral uprightness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. With me here? For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Interesting. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroys, for meat destroy. Watch, let me read this right. For meat destroy not the work of God. Whatever you do, whatever you have freedom in, in the area of personal convictions and questions of conscience, if you're free to do that, all right, here he says in connection, he says, destroy not the work of God. Don't grieve your brother, don't destroy your brother. Okay, but don't let it destroy the work of God either. Just because the Bible doesn't forbid you to do something, doesn't give you a right to practice it and come in here and destroy everything this church is doing. And tear down the work of God just so you can have your way. And it may be that it's not wrong or right. But will you destroy the work of God? Will you tear the work of God down just so you can have your way? God, that's a wrong spirit. That's a wrong attitude. You, you don't tear down the work of God just so you can get, you know, your way. He's not even talking about biblical things. He's not even talking about absolutes. He's not even talking about biblical principles here that we are supposed to abide by. He's talking about the area of conviction. I don't have a right to ever destroy the work of God. My freedom. Lord, help me, Jesus. I got a question for you. If, let's just say I had a Stradivarius violin. Y'all heard of that before? Well, I had a very high dollar, very expensive violin. All of a sudden, I took that thing and I just went, just tore the thing to smithereens <clears throat> there was a violinist that was playing in a concert they thought he was playing on a Stradivarius okay he's well he's just getting up there and he's getting with it watch this I'm going to show you something real important the kingdom of God is not righteousness I mean, it's not meat and drink but it's righteous peace and joy in the Holy Ghost okay God wants to use you as a vessel you should live your life no matter what, especially in the area of the Word of God, the absence of the Word of God, and also the areas of personal conviction. You should live your life in such a way that He can use you, that He can play. 
on you and make beautiful music out of you. Your conscience is intact. Your spirit's intact. You haven't violated the word of God. So now God can pick you up and play you like a violin. If you violate your conscience or maybe you're disrupting the house of God and messing up other people's conscience and their belief, you know what? And that affects God's ability to play. All right, watch this. You don't want to tear down the work of God. There was a violinist that was praying, playing his violin. He was a master violinist. Playing and playing and playing and playing. And when he got through, everybody stood up and applauded him. Master. You know what he did? He took that violin. They all thought he was playing on a Stradivarius. He took that violin and he crashed it in the, into the floor. And everybody was, oh, they couldn't believe that that master violinist would, would take that violin they thought was a Stradivarius and break it into the floor. They all gasped for breath. That he would tear something up like that. He goes over there. He gets another violin. And he said, this is the Stradivarius. It doesn't make a difference. I'm the master violinist. I can make a Stradivarius sound good. I can make just an old plain violin sound good. Because it's the master's hand. It's the one who's in charge of the violin. That's important. But you can imagine when they grasped for air, when they thought he had just tore down and destroyed a Stradivarius, man. Or say a Rembrandt plant painting. If I had a Rembrandt in here and I just got all beside myself, you know, and walked over here and just went, and you knew it was a Rembrandt. And tore it up. You'd go, are you here? All right. Well, what about the kingdom of God? It is greater than any violin. It's greater than any painting. Just because I've got the liberty to take the violin and crash it on the floor, the liberty to go there and tear the painting up, doesn't mean I should do it. Just because I've got the freedom, doesn't mean I'm going there and just destroy the church. Understand? Wow. Tear the church down? You'd grasp for air, wouldn't you? Somebody tore up a violin like that on a Rembrandt painting and grasp for air. But why, then why is it the people in the area of just to have, get their way on these things, non-moral things, they'll destroy a whole work. They'll destroy a church. They'll destroy a brother. They'll destroy a pastor just to get their God's telling us here, he said, don't let that liberty grieve your brother, destroy your brother or your sister. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. He talks about the kingdom of God. He said, for he that in these things serveth, serveth Christ is the set of God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things which wherewith one may build up another, edify. For meat, destroy. For meat, for meat, destroy not the work of God. Just because you can go and buy at half price. Don't destroy the work of God. Just because you don't have a conviction against it. Don't destroy the word of God or the work of God. Hello church. It's insane. Some of the stuff you people pull. Just to get an opinion across. 
an idea and a philosophy that you think is rooted in the Word of God. And then I prove to you it's not even in the Word of God. Your conclusion was error. And you would step in and try to destroy everything that I have ever preached in the area of holiness. And the fundamental belief system of this church, just so you could be right, is insanity. Insane. Even in the area of personal conviction. I'm, not, I'm trying not to jump on it. I'm just really, I feel strongly about this. Okay. Let me just tell you this. If I went to an apostolic church where they command their ladies to wear a veil, my wife's wearing one. Even though I personally do not believe it that I have to biblically, or I don't even have a conviction about putting a veil on the top of my, my wife's head because she's got long hair and that's her covering. For me to walk into another man's church and destroy the work there just because, you know, I want to flaunt my freedom in that. God just hit it right on the head. For me, destroy the work of the Lord? For a veil, destroy the work of the Lord? Something's not right there. So I tell my wife, you're putting a veil on. If we go into apostolic church, you're putting a veil on. You wear a veil. I will not offend that pastor. I will not split his church. We will abide by that authority that is there. Okay? So I'm just going to tell you, if any of you are ever invited to an apostolic church and that pastor in that church believes in the veil, you will put on the veil. Mandatory. Even if you don't believe in it. You can split the whole church. Understand? Split the whole church. To me, this is really important. And if God looks at personal conviction things, how does he look about the word of God? How does he look about the, the absolutes in his word? Really important. Is this helping anybody? For me, destroy not the work of God. All things are indeed all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. If you violate your own conscience or you offend another brother when you do it, then it's evil. That's powerful, isn't it? It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. is not good to eat the flesh or to drink wine or any anything that would cause your brother or your sister to stumble okay well what about wine now a good brother brought this to my attention okay i gave you all some documentation that talked about judging judge not lest you be judged and in that documentation it talks this particular person used wine as an as a non-moral question thing as a question of conviction you know and he used that to illustrate it. It was brought to my attention. Well, I didn't give that to you to teach on the subject of wine. <laughs> gave that to teach you on the subject on judging and, and not judging. That's my motive. That, 
What I gave you does not condone drinking wine, nor does Paul condone drinking wine here. Anything. Do, do you think that Paul would put his approval on drinking an alcoholic beverage? Do you? Do you think that Paul would put wine in the category of non-moral question things? Or questions of conscience? I say absolutely not. That's my judgment on it. My judgment on it. And I believe i got good solid biblical foundation for that. Because there's number one, there's no way you can prove what the level of, of alcohol content was in that early uh, culture anyway. If you could... Right? Nor can you prove that this word right here in the Greek means fermented. The Greek word means fermented and it also means unfermented. Are you with me? Without getting into a long dissertation on this and I could teach it to you. I could just say this one thing. It was forbidden to priests. It was forbidden to kings. It was forbidden uh, to people in positions of, of leadership in the Old Testament. And guess what? Are you not a priest? Are you not a king? All right? And you want to disagree with me? I'm going to lay it down right now. Your pastor absolutely, completely, 100% does not put his approval on the use of wine that has any alcohol content whatsoever, which means we are limited as a church to the fruit of the vine. You understand? That's the way I see it. All right? You are, and if you want to you split hairs with me and you want to go to the Word of God and you want to try to push it down my throat, you're going to have a problem with that because I don't believe the Bible teaches that, that. And I don't believe that Paul would put his approval on drinking wine if it was an alcoholic beverage. Well, is the fruit of the vine? Well, beer is, is made from the fruit of the, of the ground, grain. So for you to say it's okay to drink a glass of wine... With X amount of alcohol content in it. Is okay. Then could you not use the same analogy to prove that one beer is okay? What's the difference? One made from the fruit of the vine. The other one's made from the fruit of the ground. I know I've got some brothers in here. Even in leadership that disagree with me. But this is the way it is here. It's the way it is. Now I will teach it. I will teach it. I'll, I'll, I'll show you in the future why I believe what I believe. I don't have time for that this morning. But there's no way I could get up here and say, it's okay for you to drink one beer. As long as you don't go to two, drink one. Stupid. Okay. What's the difference between me saying it's okay to drink one beer or saying to you it's okay to drink one glass of wine? Well, brother, I can get, I can get a glass of wine that's only got 5% alcohol. Still got alcohol in it. Okay? So, you wonder why I'm so heated about this? Because I have been debated on this issue by people in this church. Debating me. And, and, and it's one thing if you got a question, I'll answer your question. But it's another thing to try to, try to prove me wrong. It's not right. And you better believe I'll hit it. And you know who you are, okay? And I'm not hiding it. Just telling you. Paul, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't use this verse right here. 
to, to prove it's okay. He doesn't use it as a verse to condone and say it's a question of conscience thing. He literally says it in this verse. He says, For meat destroy not the work of God, all things that eat are pure, but is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stomach or is offended or is made weak. Not one thing in that passage does he say it's okay to drink alcoholic beverage. Just the opposite of that. So I don't know where some of y'all are. I really don't know where you are. And, and I just benefit of the doubt. Just give you the benefit of the doubt, okay? That you're really trying to find the truth on the subject, on the matter, okay? I pray that's it. But some of y'all are really, really concerning me about, about, you know, even if you could prove it was a normal issue, they tried to override me on it. That doesn't sit well with me. And, you know, I'm just, uh, at some point, the, the pastor is going to be the one who defines on some things what, you know, we should or should not do. And how am I going to define this one? You put that, put that on me. And I say, okay, it's okay. All you people, you can drink table wine as long as it's 5% alcohol. But anything above 5% alcohol, I can't let you do that. Then you're going to say, well, show it to me in the Bible that I can't drink anything over 5% alcohol. Do you understand? Do you understand the position that I'm in? And that some of you people try to put me in? It's okay to cut the split ends. But then I got to say, okay, well, how high is your split end? <laughs> you know? Is it okay, Pastor, for me to drink uh, wine as long as it's got 5% or 3%? Well, is one okay? What's one? One what? Gallon? Five? Ten? <clears throat> you with me? Okay. So, you know, hallelujah. I, I'll just say that if wine is an, if, if it is, and I'll just leave it there. If it is, if you could prove it, and if it is a non-moral question thing, which I don't believe it is because I believe alcohol is a moral issue. Alcohol, read my lips. Alcohol is a moral issue. The fruit of the vine isn't, but alcohol is. But let's just say, in your higher knowledge, that you can prove to me that wine is a non-moral issue, then you know what? I can, all I can say to you is this. Don't violate anything we've taught today. All right? And then you have to deal with your pastor because I believe that alcohol is a moral issue on any level. Okay? So I love you, and I'm firm, and I'm strong, and I'm sometimes beside myself. <laughs> but I get tired. I get so tired. Not the questions that are asked, but this pushing me. Pushing me, you know, to the edge. You know what I'm saying? Man. Y'all awake? I, I just messed up the whole message. Verse 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Just a personal conviction. And you do it, have it to God. Do it unto God. If you don't do it, do it unto God. Whatever. Watch this. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. 
right? So if it's non-moral and you participate in it and, you know, you can enjoy it, you don't condemn yourself, then you have happiness. But if you do it, you know it's not wrong, and you do it, violate your conscience. Uh, you understand? Mm, it's hard sometimes to explain it, but anyway, I'll just leave it for what it says. Verse 23, and he that doubteth is damned. Again, he's not talking about the word of God and absolutes. He's talking about relative things in connection to personal convictions. And you can, if you violate your personal conviction, you will walk in damnation. That doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. It means you're walking in condemnation. You're walking in guilt. You're walking in offense. You don't have victory. It affects your prayer life. affects your relationship with God. affects your relationship with your family. Just on and on it goes. You have judgment. He that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Even things that the Bible doesn't specifically forbid, if you do it, and you violate your conscience doing it. What does it say? Let me get the word right. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So that even liberty can become a sin. Even things God has given us freedom in. We can cross the line and they become sin. If we let the liberty we have control us. If we're brought under the power of anything. Paul said all things are lawful for me. Of course, he's talking again about personal things. He's not talking about violating the word of God. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. Even non-moral question things. You can find yourself... It becoming a bondage to you. It has overpowered you and can lead you into sin. Too much of a good thing can destroy you and can become sin because it has become your master. It has become the focus in your life. It can be anything. It can be money. It can be fun. It, whatever. It can overpower you and become sin. With me here? <clears throat> For me, I don't necessarily believe that television in and of itself is wrong. But you know what? It can become sin. Because it can dominate your life. It can control your life. It can overpower your life. It, it can be the focus of your life. You can start slipping and sliding down the slope of morality with it. Start watching things, viewing things, listening to things you shouldn't watch. Then that liberty has become a sin. We have to be real careful even in these non-moral things, question things that we don't cross the line on them. Amen? Now, let me share this with you. I'm not going to say you're going to go to hell if you ever listen to something on the radio that besides preaching. You understand? <laughs> don't let me go there today. I, I just have, lift, lift your hand if on the radio in the last week you listened to any kind of music or any song that was anything but Christian. If you have, 
Don't lift your hand. That'd be everybody in the church, Brother Daniel. <laughs> Including me. You understand? I'm not saying you're all going to go to hell if you listen to some love song, you know. <laughs> but if that few songs turn into all you ever listen to, and you get into that, and that's that, see, you can be sucked back into the world. And now you're going to the stores, and not only you listen to the radio, but now you're buying it from the stores. And your whole car is full of all kinds of CDs of worldly music. That's pretty sin. Tommy, the liberty that you had has turned into a bondage. It's overpowered your life. It is feeding you things that are defeating you. Okay? So, praise God. Man, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't planning on defining a lot of stuff, but I think I hit everything in the skunk's den. And, and please don't be offended. You know how I am. I'm strong. Uh, don't be offended, and you know, and don't think that you're the only one I talk to today. Because we talk to everybody, including myself. I'm not through yet. Some of y'all act like you're going home. I'm not through yet. <laughs> the beloved of God. Okay, I taught all of that stuff, went around the world just to go across the street to let you know what's important this passage is, your brother and your sister. That's what's important. Not my freedom or my liberty being flaunted at the expense of my brother or my sister, but prefer preferring my brother or my sister above my own opinions as far as my liberties go. You're more important. Come on. Than me having my way. The work of God's more important than me and having my way. And you know what Paul does? Then he goes into the next section. The Son of God. Verses 1 and 2, he's still dealing with the brethren. Watch this. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities or the weakness of the weak and not to please ourselves. He brings it all down to that point. That's the issue. The beloved of God. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For it is good edification. And then he goes, verse 3, son of God. Beloved of God, the son of God. He's the heart of the beloved of God. Paul does something very unusual. He puts the, he talks about the beloved of God. Then he puts the son of God right in the middle of it. And then about verse 14, he starts talking about the beloved of God again. This is the only time in the, this outline that he's given in first, uh, Romans chapter 1, the of God's, that he ever does that. He follows the outline pro just exact. But in this one, he deals with the beloved of God, puts the Son of God in the heart of it, and then he jumps and he puts the beloved of God again on the other side of it. He puts God in the heart of the whole thing. Listen, 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 listen. What does that mean? Is that my standing before God I'm, my relationship, my right standing with God is based on the finished work of the cross. Your standing is based on the finished work of the cross. You understand? 
It's not always in what I don't do or what I do. Personal conviction things. I may do certain things you feel conviction about. And otherwise, the same way. But it doesn't affect my standing in God. Things that don't affect my standing in God is what he's talking about. Christ is the center. What is the basis of my fellowship? Not that you agree with everything, every personal conviction I have. Or that I agree with every personal conviction that you have. The basis of my fellowship with you is Jesus Christ. That's the point Paul's getting to. Jesus Christ. He's the heart of the beloved of God. That's why I'm in fellowship with you. You might believe in, I'm not saying you do, but I'm just going to use that. You might believe in keeping the Sabbath. I can fellowship with you because Christ is the center. I can say as a pastor, I don't necessarily agree with that. All right? But Christ is the center. He's the basis of my fellowship. Not that we all agree on everything exactly. You may not agree every, with everything that I have said even today. But don't let it come in and divide our fellowship and, and dis, disrupt our relationship with each other. Jesus is the center and the basis of our fellowship. You believe that? Isn't that beautiful? Wonderful. For even Christ, <clears throat> please not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Look at this. He didn't even please him on self. Verse 4. For whose, whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. Look at this. He says the Old Testament still for us today. It's example, it's teaching, it's principles, it's commandments. Those constants, they're still for us today. You with me here? Things that are written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience, endurance, perseverance, come on, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What is it for? Our learning, our endurance, our comfort, and our hope. Things that are written before the New Testament. Wonderful. Paul didn't say the Old Testament wasn't for us today. He said it's for us. It's for our learning. Our patience, our comfort, our hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant, grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may be may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. 
Does my life glorify God? Do I follow the pattern that Jesus followed? A selfless pattern? Giving himself for the sake of others? Laying aside his own rights? Come on. Unity. Unity. That you might may with one mind. Unity. Unity. Lay aside personal opinions for the sake of unity. Lay aside getting your own way for the sake of unity. Be one-minded for the sake of glorifying God. Come on. He's not even talking about the Word. He's talking about personal things. Personal things. For the sake of unity. That you may be with one mind and one mouth. Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glorify God, even. Look at this. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not two people. God is the Father. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Receive ye one another in the area of moral question things. Questions of conscience. Questions of personal conviction. He said, receive ye one another. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Now watch this. He's going to give you biblical examples here. Illustrations of this point. The Jews should not be grudging towards the Gentiles because the Jews were called by God to reach the Gentiles. You with me? Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. He's writing to the Jews. Watch this. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. For this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. He's saying, you need to understand, you have differences of opinion and convictions. You Jews come from a different culture and a different background. You Gentiles come from a different culture and a different background. Don't let the Jews... Hold a grudge against the Gentiles. The Jews were raised up by God to win the Gentiles. And don't let the Gentiles hold a grudge against the Jews. Because salvation is of the Jew. In the area of personal convictions. Yeah. God wants unity, not uniformity. Every, every, every one of you in here have a different opinion about the way you want to wear your hair, etc. And on and on it goes. Hallelujah. Style. Anyway, is this getting, getting to the point here? I appreciate you staying along today. He's telling, he's trying to 
get the point across to Jews and Gentiles trying to live in the same fellowship together with different cultures and backgrounds. Keep, you, know what, you know what T.F. Tenney said? I heard him say one time, he said, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. You start trying to split hairs over non-moral issue question things and questions of personal conviction. You'll split the church. We'll, we won't be effective in the work of God. It'll just be a one big mess. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the constants the constants and the variables the variables. You'll be all right. Are you with me? Why? Because Jesus has received us. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the judge. And that's my brother and that's my sister right there. Do I practice what I preach? You better believe I do. Not totally like I should, but I practice what I preach. There have been times my personal personality and my mannerisms would have pulled people out of leadership. I said, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. You know why? Because I want unity in this house. I want unity in this house. And, and hopefully, we, you know, people don't hang themselves. But help me, God. I, I pray, help me, God, not to get, to jump in the middle of something before it, it's too, you know, uh, too soon and destroy the whole unity of the church. So, do you understand what I'm saying? Give that brother the grace and the freedom and the mercy or that sister time to overcome. Time to get a hold of it. Time to mature. Time. Do you understand? For the sake of the unity of the church. You might look at that. That's a strong brother. That's a weak brother. I don't think they should be there. I don't think they ought to be doing that. You know, if it was me, I, if I was pastor, I'd pull them down right now. That's why you're not the pastor. <clears throat> and I am trying to preserve unity in this house. Even when biblical principles are questioned. Even when Bible absolutes are questioned. I'm still trying to promote unity of the spirit in this church. Try to keep it together. You understand? It's Jesus. 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 Can you see? Can you see? Do you understand? Jesus. He is the main thing. He's the main thing. The main thing is not if you can eat pork or not. <clears throat> the main thing is not if you can drink wine or not. The main thing is not if you can grow a beard or not. The main thing. These are not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. His work is the main thing. Unity of the brethren is the main thing. Unity of the spirit is the main thing. He's the son of God. He's the heart of the beloved of God. I'm glad. I'm glad Jesus, even when I wasn't totally all together, He didn't jerk me up by the head of the hair and throw me away. 
You know what? There are many times he could take me by the head of the hair and threw me out of the front door of this church. Said, you're not worthy to stand behind that pulpit. But you know what? He didn't do that. He, Jesus is the heart of the whole thing. Will you keep the main thing the main thing? Keep the constants the constants, the variables the variables. But always understand the basis of your fellowship is Jesus Christ. Do, do you know, and I know I'm lengthy, and I'm, I'm not in the least bit worried about it. Do, do you know that I know men, I, I, I talked to a preacher on the phone just the other day. He called me from out of state. He's not in, he doesn't believe in the oneness of God yet. He doesn't believe in baptism in Jesus' name yet. Okay? He called me, and uh, he just wanted to bless my life. And you know what? I could have got on that phone. I could have jumped right off in the middle of him and, and given him, pushed my doctrine on and told him all these things, you know, about where he's all wrong and, you know, about what I believe. I could have done that. But you know, I didn't feel led to do that. You know what I felt led to do? Just leave Jesus the main thing right now. And there may be an opportunity, a time that you get to where if you just leave Jesus the main thing right now, that there, there could be a time that you get to share more about Him and more about the truth. If you can't, if you can't understand that Jesus is the main thing, that I can, I can pray with that man who doesn't necessarily have all the truth that I have concerning the doctrine that I preach or even the holiness that I believe in. But you know what? I can still talk to him on the phone. I can pray with that brother. I can cry with that brother. I can laugh with that brother. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Because Jesus is the main thing. He's the basis. Didn't compromise the word of God at all. Just tried to keep the main thing the main thing. Okay? Because as strongly as I believe this message, the oneness of God and the new birth that we preach and the holiness that we preach, do you know what? I'm not God. And nor are you. Brother Tenney said, keep the main thing the main thing. And he also said this, do not limit the blood atonement. I can't limit the blood atonement, nor can you. You are not God. I will preach this message. I will preach it. I will continue to preach it. But I am not God. I, will, I cannot limit the blood atonement. Jesus is the main thing. He's the heart of fellowship. Come on. Come on. I went to a hospital. Some brothers, not from this church, but brother from another church. He called me. Let me just tell you, Brother Edmonds, apostle from a Taiwan. He called me. He said, will you go pray for Sandy's mom? She's in the, uh, our father. He's in the hospital. I'm not his pastor. But I went and I prayed for brother, our sister Edmund's father in the hospital. Where did he had cancer? When I was standing in the hallway, her pastor walks up. Okay? There I am standing. I walk into that hospital room and I don't necessarily agree with him, and he doesn't necessarily agree with me as far as doctrine goes. 
But we walked in that room and we were in a common agreement. Jesus was the main thing. And, and you know what we were there for? To pray for that man. That's what we were there for. It wasn't time for me to jump in his face, tell him he's a false prophet and going to hell. Come on. Jesus. You know what he did? He's the pastor of this man. He said, brother, he said, you come over here. He said, and you pray. He, preferred, he put me in front of himself to pray for his sheep. I said, I said, pastor, I said, I don't, I'm not his pastor. I said, you're his pastor. And I said, I don't, you know, and, and I feel if anything, you should go in front of me because you are his pastor. It doesn't matter what I believe as far as doctrine and what he believes about doctrine. It's about right. Jesus is the center, and this is his pastor. He said, no. Older man, an older man. He stepped aside. He said, I want you to pray for him. So I took the oil out. As uncomfortable as I felt doing this, and I anointed that, that elder man and that old pastor, his pastor, laid his hand on my back. And we agreed together for the healing of, of Sister Edmund's father. There was a knot on, knot on his neck. We got the news. The knot was completely gone. They did find some cancer cells in the prostate, but that's normal for an old man, an older man. But I'm just trying to tell you something. That sometimes we just need to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's Jesus Christ. And he's the base of my fellowship. And I'm not compromising. But I'm telling you that there's a time for things. You know, I wondered after that happened. I wondered if I were your, and I am your pastor at this point. And, and somebody in the family called their pastor to go pray for you. And I walked up there, and there this pastor was talking to you, and he was or talking to the family, and, and he's fixed to go in there, and he was going to go pray for one of my saints. I wonder how I would have handled that. I, would, I wonder if I would have got this man and said, you go right ahead, you pray. You, you step in front of me, and you pray for him. Or if I'd have thought to myself, I'm the pastor, you get over here. I'll pray for my saints. You don't even have the truth anyway. Do you understand? Jesus is the heart of the beloved of God. I just wonder when we get to heaven if there's going to be a lot more people in heaven than we thought was going to be there. And I also wonder this. I don't wonder about the doctrine I preach or teach. Or the holiness I believe in. I don't wonder a bit about that. But I just wonder how far the atonement goes. And if there's people in heaven that I didn't think was going to be there. And also when I get in heaven. If I thought I was going to see somebody and they didn't get there. See you can be doctrinally right. But morally, spiritually wrong. You can be doctrinally right. But your attitude be wrong. You can be right doctrinally, but spiritually wrong. Come on. Hello, somebody. And you better believe I'm going to preach it just like I preach it. I, I, you know I'm not going to compromise on it. But I'm just telling you, Jesus is the heart of everything. And I'm not Jesus, and you're not Jesus. I'm not God, and you're not God. 
And I don't stand or fall in you. You don't stand or fall in me. Jesus Christ. Come on. Some of you who, who do things I don't think you should do as far as moral conviction, personal, personal conviction things go, you might have a greater standing than I do. You might have less of a standing than I do. God is the judge. You understand? Praise God. Verse 12. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he, shall, he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. Isn't that beautiful? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. My. In believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Look at the intercession of Paul for these people. His prayer. What's he praying? That they be filled with joy. Are you filled with joy? Are you filled with peace? Can I be honest with you? There's times I'm not. When I'm teaching you the word of God, I got a lot of peace. And I've got a lot of joy. And I've got a lot of hope. But when I'm, when I'm not doing this, I'm, I'm in a great struggle. Do you, do you understand? Paul is praying. Do you believe that God wants you to be filled with hope and joy and peace? And believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what Paul interceded, interceded for the church in Rome. Jews and Gentiles are like all kinds of cultures. Melting pot of society, just like America. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. He said, that's the way I look at you. Powerful. You're full of goodness. Filled with knowledge. All knowledge. Able to admonish one another. Beautiful, isn't it? What a, what a father this man was. I'm sure he got letters from the weak brothers. And I'm sure he got letters from the strong brothers. And they all want him to give a big old list of do's and don'ts. In the areas of non-moral question things. And he keeps the main thing, the main thing. And it talks about their joy and their peace and how knowledgeable they are and how good they are, not in the sin nature, but able to admonish, encourage one another. Verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, now he returns back to the beloved of God. You see the point? Awesome. And this is where we'll stop. This is where we'll stop. Verse 15 through chapter 16 deals again with the beloved of God. And next week I'm going to try to complete the book of Romans, okay? But we're going to go through the beloved of God. And I'm going to show you all these various backgrounds, this melting pot that I was talking about. Some of them are slaves. Some of them are poor. Some of them are uh, uh, royalty that were converted to the kingdom of God. Some Jews, some Gentiles. I want to see the way that Paul addresses them. I'm going to talk about what their names mean and give you a little bit of their history, but we'll stop there. But, my, but I had to get through that chapter 15 to show you what the main thing is. 
that Jesus Christ is the main thing. And, and, he, and Paul says he is the example. Look at how he set his, his own rights aside. His own uh, didn't please himself, you know, died for you. Just he is the example. He is the center. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's stand. Father, we ask you today, Lord Jesus, that we grow in the things we have heard today. Father God, I pray that my lack of teaching, that your awesome spirit, as your people read over this chapter, that your awesome spirit, God, would reveal to them truth that need to be emphasized that I did not emphasize. Lord, I ask in your precious name right now for the joy of your people as Paul interceded for the saints in Rome, for, for the joy of the Lord, for the peace of the Lord. God, they'd be filled with all hope, a hope that abounds, God. I believe, Lord, that I preach to people who are full of all goodness. Father, who are knowledgeable in all things. Who are able to admonish one another. God, help us to keep the unity of the faith. Jesus, you're the basis of my fellowship. I love you and I praise you. And I ask, God, that you would take this word today and apply it to each one of our hearts and lives. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. Th thank you for staying long. I, I kept you really long today. But I appreciate it because I believe the word of God's worth it. And I believe that this, this would help your life and change your life. Yeah, I really do. Do you know, there's, there's one thing, and I promise I'm going to let you go. But there's one thing, I've been to conferences and I've been to seminars and I've heard a lot of men preach on a lot of things, okay? And I don't remember this pastor, this brother, this bishop, this elder getting into all these details that I got in today on and expounding this the way I ex tried to expound it today. But Elder J.T. Pugh, I went to... Uh, a minister's, they called it the shepherd's breakfast. And he was teaching early in the morning in a seminar. And he taught from this passage, receive you one another. I never forgot it. And it changed my life. And I'm telling you, I've heard a lot of powerful preaching. Don't remember most of it. But I remember that old, old bishop, J.T. Pugh. Preaching that, receive you one another. Got personal conviction about thing, receive you one another. Powerful, powerful. It's all I ever remember him saying. He used he non-moral question things was the term he used, and then receive you one another was the thing he kept emphasizing over and over in unity. Unity in the body, unity in the church, love for one another, setting self aside when necessary. Keeping the main thing, the main thing, Jesus Christ. It's the main thing. You believe that? <clears throat> I want to believe it. I want to believe it more than I do right now. Will you fight for it? Will you?
important, isn't it? Important. Feel the Lord. Would you just talk to the Lord for a minute? God, I thank you for your peace. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Thank you for praying. I want to tell you, the Lord, the Lord, as you were praying, He quickened something in my spirit that you need to know. You're going to have brothers or sisters that come in here, they get baptized in Jesus' name, they get the Holy Ghost, and they're your brother and they're your sister. They don't understand holiness. They're not even practicing it. But they're not hypocrites. Because what they are out there, they are in here. And I'm not running them down. And I'm not beating them over the head with holiness. And I reach out to them and I'll preach the word just as it is from this pulpit. But I'll go down to that person and I'll lay my hands on them. I'll pray for them and I'll love them. Even if they're not doing it right now. Because they're new. They don't understand even the things the word of God says much less my personal conviction things or your personal conviction things. You've got to be willing to keep Jesus the main thing and understand in that sister, Jesus is the main thing. In that, in that brother or sister, that, that Jesus is the main thing in them. They're a brother. They're a sister. They don't look just like I do right now. But Jesus is the main thing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, why don't the pastor, why don't he just jump on that? Jesus is the main thing. Do you understand these things? I'm telling you, you see somebody, they've been in the church, how long? Month? Six months? Year? How long were you in the church? How long were you in the church? Ten years? Twenty years? Fifteen years? Before you started living holy? I'm talking about biblical holiness. Much less having any personal convictions about anything. How long were you in the church? You know? And, and, and we got somebody coming to church and they haven't changed within six months. You think, oh, out the door they go. I'm not saying you believe that. I'm just saying don't believe that. Don't do that. Jesus is the basis of our fellowship. Amen. You walk up to that brother, that sister. They be, they're, they're doing the Lord. You walk up and you look them in the face and you don't look at them as you're not worth anything because you don't look like me. You're worthless. You're, con, you're, you're holding them in contempt. You look at them as worthy to be cast out and rejected and worthless. You don't look at them. I walk up to somebody and, and I, they know where I stand and sometimes they're even embarrassed to even talk to me because they know what we believe. But you know what? I walk up there and I grab him by the hand. I look him right in the eye. I say, I love you. You're my sister. You're my brother. I want you here. I want you here. I don't want you to leave. I want you here. Hey, I don't necessarily agree with you right now, but I still love you. Jesus is the center. He's the main thing. All right? Even though I believe what I believe, 
The main thing is not trying to make everybody look just like us. <laughs> you understand? <clears throat> the main thing is Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? You got to keep the main thing the main thing. So I'm just helping you today. Because when you were praying, I felt the Lord talk to me. He said, you need to talk to your church. They see somebody been in the church six months or a year or two, and they still don't have holiness down. And then they get this spirit about, oh, you, what are you doing? You know, you're not living holy. What's wrong with you? Why did the pastor jump on you? You must have forgot how gracious the Lord was with you. You must have forgot how merciful he was with you. For you to have that attitude toward them. Help me as a pastor to have the same spirit. Not just to new people, but to people I pastor. Some of you have been in the church five, six, seven, maybe eight years, and I'm jumping on you real hard and about some things, and I probably need to let up. And I probably just need to keep the main thing the main thing and let you fall in love with Jesus and uh, see what kind of fruit he can produce through you. You know, will you pray for me about that? You know, hallelujah. I could say that about a saint, new, new person, but what about, uh, I relate to people been in the church a while. <sighs> That's really not fair, is it? I, I wouldn't want to be jumped on like that myself. You know? Yeah. Help us all to deal with problems, not people. Problems, not people. That's hard to do. We won't, we won't deal with people and not problems. Novice, a novice deals with people, not problems. Okay? Will y'all pray for me? Because I really, really sense my, my need of growth in this area. If I'm, we're ever going to be anything. I've got to temper my zeal with a little bit of love and compassion. To be honest with you. And deal with problems and not people. Come on. But Jesus is the main thing. And if Jesus died for people. Okay. Help us Jesus. Help us God. Help us to relate to each other properly. To brothers and sisters, new people, and also people been in the church for a while. So we all human. We're all flesh. We all mess up. We, now, I don't want to, and I'm not condoning it, but that's just the way we are, man. We just human. We fall on our face sometime. And you know what? There's got to be a little bit of grace there to help us back up and put us back in the ranks, you know. But, you know, we got this zeal for God. I know I do. I just, I just take those big old Roman spikes and just walk on the back. Blood flying everywhere. Do you understand? I'm, I'm being real with you today. Help me, God. <coughs> you see how Paul, you see how awesome this man is? The way he moves, the way he operates as a father. It's, it's amazing to me. And he goes right to the heart of the whole thing. He puts, unlike anything he ever did in the of gods, the of gods, they are the basis, the outline for the whole book. Unlike any other of God in Romans, he puts uh, the Son of God in the middle of the beloved of God. Right in the middle of it. 
to show you Jesus is the heart. He didn't do that with any other of God but that one. He followed the outline perfectly until he got to that one. That is powerful. <clears throat> okay? Whew. So let us all become fathers. Not just babies, not just youth, but fathers in the kingdom of God. Like Paul. Man, to get the spirit of that man. A Jewish man saying, one man esteems a day above another. Another esteems every day alike. A Jewish man said that. A, a Sabbath-keeping Jew said that. Look at his wisdom. Awesome. Okay? But I, I stand amazed at the Word of God. I stand amazed at the spirit of the letter. I stand amazed at the men, the fathers, these apostles, and the way that, that they handled these. What, what would you have done if you got the questions from the weak brothers about things? And then you got another bunch of letters from strong brothers on all these various subjects and, and thoughts. And what do you think, Paul? Can you imagine the list on both sides? The for and against on so many things. And then Paul says, okay, here's where we're going to stand. Right in the middle. Jesus is it. Jesus is it. I, as a Jew, will keep the Sabbath. Paul, as a Jew, would keep the Sabbath. But he said, Jesus is the main thing. He's the fulfillment. He's the goal of everything. Hallelujah. Beautiful. Beautiful. <clears throat> Beautiful. And I st study this and I preach this and I read this. I don't, don't just read the, the words off the page. I feel the heartbeat of that apostle. I feel the heartbeat of that man or that woman that's, that's preaching or writing that. I feel that passion and that love in, in that word. I love you. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, okay? Remember, 530 is prayer and then 6 o'clock is church. And... Uh, Let's have a good time in God, all right? Amen.